Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. Three, two, one. I was driving and they just punched me, slapped me. I was bleeding straight away. Like I needed a new toilet brush. <laughs> you, you open up your phone and there's an ad for a toilet brush. Yeah. <laughs> Where you've got health and safety incidents happening on these sites, absolutely people are worried. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mod with PJ Coogan. Parks 96 FM. If nothing else makes you smile this morning, there's a wonderful photograph that has been put up on Twitter, Twix, X, whatever you want to call it this week, of a guy, I think it's a garage he has set up in the UK, or he's opened or taken over the miniature. I didn't bother to read it, but the pictures are brilliant. He has chicken rolls and he has jambons and he has other such things. What's he call it? Irish street food. I just think that's brilliant. Here he is, guy in the UK, thinking now like thinking like an Irishman, thinking like a businessman, and he opens up this place because of the emerald. I think it's a garage shop. Chicken rolls, jambons, you know, yourself. Irish street food. Like how never. If that doesn't make you smile on a Friday morning, uh, nothing will. Not to mind the lunacy. That went on between six and nine this morning. If, if, like they collapsed, they nearly had to be carried out of here at the end of the program. Such was the um, the carnage that developed during the two grand minutes, of which I'll, I'll give you a lash again later on because I've saved it. It'll be saved for the end of the year. It'll be saved for Christmas parties. It'll be saved for every blooper tape that'll ever be made. Oh yeah. Oh by the way. Ah, that's 6,250 euro. 6,250 euro. I tell you, I was out last night, of which more in a second. I was out last night, and I was going to the toilet, as you do in the course of an evening, and I stopped coming out of the toilet. A fella, a bit younger than myself, and he goes, are you PJ? I said, I am, yeah, yeah. He said, what's the bloody dog's name? What is the flippin' dog? They stopped me coming out of the toilet. He said, what is the bloody dog's name? I met the coolest dog, the dog's name. It's <laughs> My mother didn't get a look in for the entire hour. Yeah. <laughs> I'd tell him, I don't know. I don't know. But it is worth 6,250 euro when we go back to the word. 
after 11 o'clock this morning. I'll tell you about my my evening out that nearly didn't happen until we went around the corner and found somewhere else to go. And I was very surprised. I put it up on my on my socials. I was out last night. I was, was kind of half a meeting, kind of half a catch-up. Just a pal of mine who's in business. And we were meeting for a quiet point. And it is a quiet point, like it's two fellas having a couple of points of stout, chatting about the world and maybe a bit of a meeting thrown in besides it. That kind of a sociable evening. School night. Wasn't staying out late, wasn't going to be hitting the tiles, and none of that. But we'd normally go to uh, the much revered, wonderful, historical Long Valley. I mean, what a pub. It's one of Cork's most iconic pubs. And we'd normally meet there maybe half seven, and it's literally three or four points, and I'm on the bus home and he walks home. Easy peasy. So I'd, I'd have been gone to my bus by, by 10 o'clock at the latest. Have to be. Have to be here in the morning. Got to the Long Valley anyway. Wandered in the door and the barman says, I'm sorry, we're closed. I said, closed? He said, yeah, unfortunately we're closed. Boss just told me there it's not going to get any better than this. So he just said, look, pack up. Pack up, we'll open in the morning. Now, look, they make a lot of money during the day with their lunches and their fantastic sandwiches and all of that. But I thought... Where are we, lads, in 2024? I put this up on my socials. I got a mixed response to it. Some proper eejits dialing in, blaming this, that and the other um, conspiracy theory. But I'd rather like to know why the real reason is. Like, 2024. And we're not talking about, as I said to a pal of mine this morning, we're we're not talking about some fly-by-night operation that, that, that burst on the scene just to see what Cork was like. We're talking about one of the most iconic pubs in the city there I don't know how old it is it's tens if not hundreds of years old is the is the Long Valley and when they're closing at half seven on a Thursday I'm thinking no 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 there's something up there's something up your thoughts are welcome oh wait now there were other pubs open last night we found another pub and we went there and had our chat and whatever and that pub got quite busy actually as, as the evening uh, dragged on but there you go there you go your thoughts are welcome it always wanted 96 96 96 Thursday used to be a huge night out in town I could remember DJing on a Thursday at a couple of residences over the years and trying to get a Thursday night off you'd get a Saturday night off faster than you'd get a Thursday night off in DJ world uh, when, when, when back in the day and there were pubs, you would do pubs, you would do nightclubs. I often did a pub and then went on to the nightclub afterwards. Town used to be hopping on a Thursday. Um, just thoughts. I put it up on the on my various socials last night. You can you can see it if you want to have a look. Uh, to first business, um, and Jess Nivellon and I, oh, we've been friends for uh, quite a long time now. Jess, Jess, I was read about you yesterday in the Independent. You've got a good job, a good wage, you love what you do, and you're thinking of emigrating. Why? Good morning. Morning, PJ. Um, I suppose really it's it just comes down to to kind of being locked out of the housing market, like. Um and do you know, like not even I suppose look, I have an issue with, with getting mortgage protection insurance, which makes a mortgage you know, basically unattainable for me. And and that's fine. I suppose what I wanted was somewhere secure. And I've, you know, I'm renting in Dublin, which obviously is quite expensive. Um, 
and I've applied for a few different cost rental units through the LDA's cost rental scheme. Now, for, um, for people who wouldn't understand that, I, I, to be honest, I've read about it, but I don't quite get it. But in order to get into it, you have to understand it. What's that all about, cost rental? So basically, like it's like it's there for people who can't get a mortgage for whatever reason, or at least that's my understanding of it. But I suppose, like the kind of eligible eligibility criteria would be that you're not on a social housing list or in receipt of any type of social um, social housing support payment. Um, you have to have an income between, I think, for Dublin, it's between forty thousand and sixty six thousand net so that would be after tax right um and like there'd be a few other kind of eligibility criteria there that would be similar to um to getting on a on a social housing list you know like um you obviously can't have a stake in a property like you can't you you can't be on that list and own a house that you're renting yeah do you know that kind of way um but then i suppose as the like so they'd, they'd have they apply it to a few different um a few different uh Areas now. I know they did one in Cork, but obviously I've been focused on the ones in Dublin because I'm living here yeah. for the last few years. Yeah, yeah. And the one you were looking um, at was City West, which would be perfect for you because you have to use public transport. You don't drive. You can't drive because of your eyesight. Yeah, ha- and and City West is perfect. The public transport is really well developed out there. And you showed me. You sent me a video of the place you were looking at, which would have been perfect for you. So what happened? You applied. So what happens when you apply is you kind of go through the, this like kind of three rounds, I call it. So like first round was just like an expression of interest, which is fine. Um, and then what they do is because like because so many people are applying for these, they're picking the names out of a lottery. So I didn't get out of the first round of the lottery, but I did come out of the second round, which was like brilliant. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, obviously they're looking for documents then, so I had to upload everything. The usual now, if you're, it's actually very similar to when you do apply for a mortgage or when you apply for rent or uh, when you apply, you know, to to rent somewhere. Mm. So it's pay slips, uh, bank statements. Um, I actually had to get my employer to write an employer's reference, not about how good I am at my job now, just about my financial circumstances. So it's all that stuff. Um, and I suppose the key criteria is a thing called, they call it affordability. So according to their rules, you can't be spending more than 35% of your take-home pay on your rent. Right. Now, obviously, like you'd need to be at the very, very high end of their income threshold not to be spending that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like financially, I wasn't going to be any better off if I'd gotten this place, it was more the security I wanted, PJ. Yeah. The security of knowing that the place wasn't going to be sold from under me. Knowing that even if I did the rent increase, it's not going to be the, the rent increase that I'm currently subjected to. Like, um, So you know, they had waived that affordability criteria when they did come back to people in the second round. They had said in the email that, look, if, you're, if this rent is going to be more than 35% of your income, um, if you can prove that you've been paying that amount of rent for the last two years or more without defaulting, we'll accept that under affordability. Right. They want to so make sure you can great. pay. They want to make sure you can pay. Yeah, yeah. obviously, of course. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's perfect. I was like, I can I can prove that I've been paying that amount of rent for the last few years um, and that it is more than 35% of income. If I'm honest with you, I don't know anyone that is spending less than 50% of their income. Yeah. Um, their take-home pay in Dublin on rent because no. it no, nowhere exists for that price. It's going mad. Yeah. 
do you know? And and look, we all knew that moving to Dublin. Um, but so I, I sent the I sent the forms and I sent all the documents in. Like we had five days to send them in. I think I sent mine in within 24 hours because I was like, OK, I'm going to lock this down now. And mm. like, this is it. Things are finally, finally turning for me. Mm-hmm. And I got the email just after a meeting actually at work on Monday uh, just to say that my affordability wasn't met because I was too far below their income threshold. Or sorry, my affordability wasn't met because I was spending too much of my income on rent. But that's exactly why you want to get into the place. Exactly. So you you earn too much for social housing. You don't earn enough, but I don't earn enough to get this. into this. So where are you supposed to go? Um, I think I'm supposed to stay apartment sharing for the rest of my days. Mm. Now, look, you, you, you have a you nice know. place. You share it with, with a couple oh, of I friends. Do. You're happy there, but you want a place of your own. You're 31 years of age. It's the first thing everybody wants at that stage. Good job, well paid, you know, and, and you're happy in, in, in your place of work and you're good at your job. Um, it's the natural thing to want next is your own place. I and suppose. I know that you, you, have this, you have this dream to be a foster mom as well, which we might get to in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where that's really where the push is coming from. It's like, I suppose, for people who don't know or who didn't read the article yesterday, um, I had a hysterectomy when I was 27. Yeah. Now, I don't regret the hysterectomy. It had to happen to give me some quality of life. I was so ill. But I suppose, you know, I thought after that, after obviously I got her, I got through kind of the trauma of it because it is obviously traumatic, even even though I did need it. Um yeah. I didn't think I used to make a joke about not having a biological clock anymore, but I re- I really do PJ, I suppose, and that is something that I didn't realise. Um, and I suppose like it's 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 all I can think about. I suppose maybe the last year or more is is possibly you know applying to become like an emergency foster carer. Yeah, because they're crying um, out for foster carers. Yeah, and and like shortage. to do it to give a child a good start or to to give them a good landing when when they've come from whatever trauma they've come from. Do you know, and I feel like this is something that I could do to, to I suppose, satisfy the want in me to, to be a mom yeah. or to give that love to another child. And, like, obviously, and I, I totally understand why the rules are so stringent around fostering completely, but, like, I, 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 can't, I can't do that. But you've looked into it and you might well be eligible, I know that, yeah. Yeah, but, like, not while you're kind of, you know, sharing accommodation no. or what, not while you're in unstable accommodation. Now, my accommodation isn't unstable as long as I can keep meeting the rent increases. Yeah. But, I mean, how long more are the rent increases going to go on? I'm in a rent pressure zone. You'd imagine that that would mean that your rent just doesn't go up. Yeah. Why am I asking how much, and you're sharing this now, but how much, how yeah. much are you paying per month? Uh, the rent would be in or around, I suppose, look, be in or around the low kind of 1400s. And that's sharing. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, beautiful apartment, great yeah. location, because obviously I depend. I, so I'm, I'm completely, I'm completely blind. So I, I, I need a, a transport link. Like a transport link would be more important to a place having a kitchen for me. <laughs> you know, know that, that kind of way. Um, and like, and I, I'm so lucky with the people I share with. They're lovely. Like they're two friends of mine and we get on great. Yeah. But I suppose like I'm the oldest, do you know, and I'm the oldest by a few years. And it, it's like, I'm just waiting for the next part to start. And at this stage now I've been 
like you know I, I it's it's not a case that I want someone to take pity on me because I'm disabled I don't want anyone to take pity on me because I want to foster I just want a fair go yeah that's all do you yeah. know, and I'm not even arguing with the with the not even being able to draw down mortgage protection insurance. Like I I understand why the rule is there. If I'm honest, which I don't have the energy to fight it. Um, but like this was supposed to be the the like I said, the secure housing that like you know just simple things like putting your own furniture into it, putting your own photo frames up, putting a mirror up where you wanted to put it, and then like having the space. I suppose, to, to do that emergency fostering of, you know, a, a small baby coming out of a situation none of us can imagine. I know, I know. Do you know, and like I just, because I suppose a few people had kind of said to me, I say, oh, well, you can't foster one room, you can if it's a baby. Yeah. Do you know that kind you of way? Can. And obviously, I suppose, look, that's the, only, that's the other thing as well, that when you do apply for these cost rentals, like if you, if you unless you actually have a, a child that's in your custody, you can't apply for a two-bed. No, totally understand why that's the rule. Totally get it. But I suppose, like the way I was looking at it for myself, it was supposed to be the start of the next chapter. And it's it's a case now of like, would I just be better off going to the States? Because like, I mean, yeah, the work, this is a similar type of work that I would do over there would be absolutely grueling as well. But mm. I would probably be on twice the pay and have a better quality of life. Yeah, and I know that over the years you met people involved in American politics. You work in politics here. You you, you yeah. met people involved in American politics, and when they saw your qualifications, they said, "Hey, come on over." Yeah, so like, there's it's not a case that I wouldn't be able to get a job over there. I suppose what's keeping me here at the moment is like I do really love my job. I really, really do. Like, mm. do you know? And there's no, there's no kind of, there's no parliament like your own parliament. Like, it's true, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's true. Um, yeah. but it's it's just getting to the stage now where it's like, do you know, are are they keeping us permanently locked out? Like, mm. you just you just have to wonder. Like, it's it's like it doesn't it doesn't matter what you do, you're stuck. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. And you're probably one of hundreds. Like, oh, of course I am. Mm. Of course I am. Do you know, I'm 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 sure I I know I'm one of hundreds. I mean, I see it every day at work. Um. But I suppose, you know, I'm kind of the only one that ended up writing an op-ed for the journal about it. <laughs> and out of pure in. frustration. Yeah, because, look, as you know, my, my daughter's away at the moment in Australia and will yeah. be for a year, possibly two, but we think only one at this stage. And and I, when we were talking about this, I said, you know, why do you want to do this? There's a couple of reasons. One, everybody's doing it. I want to try it. Two, the, the the area in which she works as a veterinary nurse, she can get fantastic experience out there that she can't get here. And thirdly, she said, that what's the point? There's nothing from nowhere to me to rent or to buy. Can't buy, can't rent. Living with a few friends, that's great. Can't get a place. Myself and, and her fella. What's the point trying to pay for her own here? Can't afford it. Yeah. And it's a case like it's, you know, it's not a case that I just woke up last week and decided I wanted to live on my own. Like this has been years in the making. It's been do you know, years that I've been working towards it, like, we should have the security in this country that, like, you know, when we've done our degrees and we have our good jobs and, you know, we've been working at our jobs in a way, for a while and we've done the house sharing or we've done the living at home and saving, that should be enough the same way that it is in every other country in Europe, but it's not here. Yeah. So how seriously are you thinking about 
moving away? Um, I suppose like I've I've been considering it for maybe the last six months. Um, because like I said, and you know, I totally understand that like obviously finances are different in America. Um, like uh, life is more expensive there, especially if you'd be wanting to live in DC, which I probably would. Um, but I mean, like, like you get your fair shot there, you work hard and you get your, your reward for it. And I suppose the other thing is like my salary isn't the problem here. I have a decent salary for the work that I do. Yeah. My problem is, is the actual cost of housing myself. Yes, and bear in mind as well, and you you shared this in The Independent, because of your health issues, you have even better tax credits than, than the ordinary 31-year-old. Yeah, so I suppose that most people will have like the single person's tax credit or whatever. I have I have an additional tax credit called the blind person's tax credit, which, you know, would be great if they changed the name of it at some point. <laughs> but that's basically what it is. You get it when you're registered as a blind person, which mm. I am. Um and like so, I mean, I probably have that little bit more take home pay than other people do. I obviously work in the public sector. So you're talking a permanent pensionable job, five year fixed term contract. Contract gets renewed every kind of election cycle, if you like. Yeah. And I mean, financially, I'm not a risk that way. Even and there's if the I thing, like you're, you're really thinking very seriously about packing in a permanent pensionable job with a good wage that you love and is there for you because you're good at it for however long you want it. You're thinking of packing all that in because you can't get a place to live on your own in our capital city in 2024. Yeah, and I suppose, like, it's not even in the capital city. It's, it's the outskirts of it, you know. Like, yes. I'd still be doing city about an hour. City there, for goodness sake, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, I suppose, like, it's it's just really getting to the stage now where I'm like, is there any point in staying on the hamster wheel here? Because there's no reward at the end of it. And also, like, I, I actually kind of cringe when I say that because being able to live on your own so that you can foster or so that you can have a child in whatever way you're having it is, like, that's that shouldn't be a reward. That should be an expectation yeah. that you can that you can survive on your own. You also make the point that in doing doing the figures um, six to seven years ago, this wouldn't have been a problem for you. No, no, not at all. Like I, uh, like I would have known people working in in a similar job. And I suppose, like the thing to say as well is that, like you know, um, our pay scales at work. Obviously, you're dealing with incrementals, and like I mean, they're they're only changed every kind of ten to fifteen years. So, like people that would have been maybe on a grand or two less overall six years ago were renting one bed apartments in do you know in Dublin six yeah do you know that kind of way like do you know close enough to the job that you could walk if you wanted to so it's like it's not something that we never had here it's it's just it's something that has now become unattainable I suppose like yeah I'm sorry to hear this. I, I know you mentioned it to me privately a few months ago that you were you're really getting frustrated with the fact that you can't get a place on your own. But but this is uh, the, the fact that the fact that you're thinking about packing up and getting out of here because of that. Given that I know how much you love your job and how hard you work to get it, that's that's upsetting, yeah. Jess. I know, I know, but I suppose like the way I looked at it is like I'm not the only person saying this at the moment, no, you're not. and I'm not the only person that's been saying it for the last year either. Like I've had friends of mine have 
have left because like and don't get me wrong there's a certain amount of people want adventure as well mm-hmm. anyone who knows me knows that i'm not adventurous like <laughs> me and adventure don't go together <laughs> like my thing is purely i'm just like i just feel do you know what like maybe i maybe i go and take a run at the hamster wheel in washington dc for a year or two and if i can survive over there maybe that's the thing to do yeah all right all right jess we'll talk again a dear old friend of mine, uh, Jessie Whalen, we've been friends for for many years, and uh, yeah, she's been through it health wise. Um, she's been through it trying to get her qualifications, get her job with you know. Ah, that's ridiculous. Thirty one years of age, earning a very good wage in the job she loves, the job she's good at. All she wants is a place of her own. She would dearly love to foster a child. Dearly love to foster a child. And now she's thinking heading up to Washington, D.C., where it might be a bit more appreciated. By the system, not by the people around her. John said they used to always worry the country would end up no country for old men. What I worry now is it'll be a country full of only old men. We can't keep on hemorrhaging our young people like this. It's simply not sustainable. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the 80s, I remember the 80s when a load of people emigrated because they had no choice. They had no jobs. A lot of people who went in the surge of immigration in the 80s went because they had no jobs and they had no prospect of work. And in 2007 and eight, when the arse fell out of everything here, people emigrated in their droves because they had no jobs and they had no prospect of work. And particularly if you were in any kind of the construction trades, when the arse fell out of it, there was no work for you. None. So you got on a plane, you went to Canada and you brought your tools with you. And so many of them are still there. But here's people who are leaving now who have good, well-paid jobs that they love. Some of them even permanent and pensionable. And she's thinking of leaving because she can't compete, live on her own, with a good job, a good salary, a good prospects. What's wrong with us, lads? They're now emigrating. They emigrated for work long ago. Now they're emigrating for a bit of life. Oh wait, on eight ninety six, ninety six, ninety six. As I say, and people ask me, and it's lovely. I get messages all the time. How's she getting on? Um, she's starting her first night shift. Um, started it a couple of hours ago. Her first night shift in an emergency veterinary hospital in Mount Waverley in Melbourne, and she could not. She sent a picture of us during the week with one of her first patients, which was a baby possum. And I don't think I've seen my daughter look so happy in a very, very, very long time. You know, um, we miss her desperately. But she's having a ball. Loves where she is. Loves the job she's after getting. Uh, but she she would prefer to be here with her friends in her hometown. Shania Twain tickets went on sale. Well, the proper ones, not the pre-sale ones, went on sale at nine o'clock, I think... I think they're almost done. Demo, I, I wouldn't have thought. I wouldn't have had you down as a Shania Twain fan. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it was more my wife. She kind of told me, I realised the other day, which I, didn't, I probably should have known about her, she was a big fan of Shania Twain when she was younger. How long she said, uh, You see, now, PG, you put me under pressure. Uh, ten years? I never, <laughs> we never knew this. Okay, okay. You know, we don't remember dates. So, yeah, it's, it, look, I mean, I probably should have guessed it because she did say, you know, from this moment that I met you, you know, I impressed her. I, I didn't impress her much, but um, <laughs> she, I make her feel like a woman and um, I'm still the one she loves. So 
I didn't realise that that kind of wasn't up that she's a massive fraternity. So I did join the queue this morning. Um, at around half eight. So how does it work? So you went to Ticketmaster, you joined the queue. Um, but you don't join the queue, you get the, the notification of when they go on sale. And then once the, it opens up at nine o'clock, you, you, you know, you're in the queue. But mine didn't. Mine for some reason, um, offered me the tickets. I tried to buy the tickets and then it said there was a connection error. Now I had it open on two computers, two different accounts, which I know you're probably not supposed to, but, um, so then I had to go back out of the queue join again. And I got, look, I got lucky in the end, but they were offering me gold tickets. So the golden circle tickets are like, they're a hundred euro mm. and your normal tickets were 80 quid. Mm. Um, but even with the booking fee, you know, it was still a 15 quid booking fee for two tickets and, and two tickets for the Shania Twain was 175 euro um, for standard tickets. But which you is, got them. I got them. Um, and surprise, Diane, <laughs> we got tickets. <laughs> yeah, you, well, you'll be in the good books for the week. I will be getting the leopard, the leopard print and stuff like that. I know, like I know the girls asked you to dress up in that the other day as well. So no, you, you, you won't. I, no, no, I might no, do. No. Damien Srinan, social media does not need a photograph <laughs> of you in leopard print. He's sitting here. already be out there. He's sitting here this morning in an IRFU Vodafone top which is bright green. That's about as much colour as we can take, young man. The, the nights and the, the mornings are dark. So I used to come into the morning, so I have to make sure that I'm seen. Uh, be safe, be seen. What's, what's, what's the wife's name? Diane. Diane. Well, Diane, listen, you can, he, you can, you can buy him a Chinese now this evening or something. Let's go, girls. <laughs> oh, get out. Get out, you messer. Get out. Good. Thank you, Demo. So we think it's almost entirely sold out now, uh, Shania Twain. Only 15,000 seats anyway uh, at, uh, at Musgrave Park. 25th June, isn't it? Shania Twain sold out. But that whole ticket master queuing up thing and getting kicked out and the whole thing. Um, oh, Back to people trying to get mortgages and trying to get a start in life in this country. Uh, Sahid, morning. How are you doing, PJ? How are you doing, fella? You're, you're trying to get a mortgage at the moment. I'm trying to get a mortgage at the moment. I've been trying for the past two years. I'm okay. a taxi driver, self-employed. Yeah. And I work so hard. Yeah. And uh, I try to meet up all the criteria. Yeah. But it's quite very difficult for self-employed like a taxi driver you know yeah but i meet up my everything savings and uh, i try to pay my rent through my bank every month yeah and uh, i believe in uh, in a i believe in the one one room everything is there toilet everything is there which is um i'm not quite very happy with that yeah but that's why i work so hard and to try to get the mortgage on my own yeah. Even if it is a problem. And how long, how long I, have you been here, Sahid? I've been here 22 years. My goodness. My goodness. Yeah, I've been, I've been here for the past 22 years. Yeah. And because um, of being self-employed, you're struggling to get a mortgage. Yeah, self-employed is quite very difficult. Yeah. But then I have enough savings yet. But um, I don't know. I I try to do uh, my pension through my uh, PTSB bank. I you know when they tell me this is good for you if you want to get a mortgage, I do it. When they tell me this is good for you if you want to do mortgage, I, I do it. Yeah, they're doing they, all the right things. You're taking all the boxes. I do everything. You know my tax is up to date. I pay my tax like I pay roughly because I work hard. I need to pay tax. I pay roughly thirty thousand every year. Yeah, yeah, and you and, and you're, you're ticking all the boxes, and yes, you can't get a mortgage. You're one of thousands. Sahid, thank you so much, and I hope you have luck with that uh, sometime, sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. 
why can't people who are ticking all the boxes, saving all the money, working hard, why can't they get a mortgage in, in 2024? That's just something totally wrong. 0818969696. I was going to talk about leap year babies. I know it's a day late and a dollar short, but this, Johan called us very late in the show yesterday, so I'll talk to him in a little while. Um, but school holidays, the next set, when is the next set of school holidays? Um, Jen, Jennifer can probably tell me, Jennifer Horgan. Um, when is the next set of school holidays due, Jennifer? It's Easter, isn't it? Morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, we were just talking about it in the staff room. I think it's the last week of March and the first week of April. Okay, okay. Easter Sunday is 31st yeah. of March, so it'd be a week before that and the week just after it. Yes, yeah. yeah. And then the it's summer. not too long. We're then, all counting the days. <laughs> I know. And then the summer. Are you primary or secondary? I'm secondary. You're secondary. So the summer yeah. the summer is three months. The summer is three months. Um, now, what, yeah, teacher, so what teacher is it, looking it, for that to be shortened, would you mind telling me? <laughs> well, so I think this is coming up in the news because in the UK at the moment, they're thinking about reducing their summer holidays from six weeks to four weeks. So that would be something if we had the UK at four weeks and us at 12 weeks. Um, I have talked about this a fair bit over the last couple of years that I think we should consider reducing the summer holidays for secondary school. Um, and I think we could also consider giving more holidays during the year, not having that huge chunk in the summer. So having, for instance, two weeks in the winter break um, for the half term. Yeah, that's they've they've actually done it in. So they they've already trialed it in the UK in Suffolk, I think it was, and they saw that staff absences reduced by fifty percent and student absences reduced by twenty five percent just by giving that longer break in the winter. Yeah, because yeah. um, so I think it's I, interesting. One of the things that got me through secondary school was having this wonderful long summer break. Yeah, and I, I agree and I'm the same and I think it's wonderful. But three months now is different, to, I think, to what three months was maybe when we were in school. Um, and that's I think technology plays a role there. You know, there's, a, there's an added challenge for parents, um, for teenagers to keep them off the screens to a reasonable degree. And you've also got sort of growing social inequalities where some young people are heading off to the Gwailtucks and they're going to various sports courses and whatever. And for other students, their education is pretty much stopping over the summer, you know, and they're not they're not getting that stimulation. And right. we see the impact of that then when they come back at the end of the summer. So it's it, I'm not necessarily saying we need to reduce the holidays over the year, but I'm saying we need to be a little bit more creative okay. in how we're distributing them. If you shorten the summer holidays, one problem that you'd have is you'd then have a lot of families taking their kids out of school to go on holidays because the eight weeks, if you were down six weeks or even worse still, four weeks, sure, nobody could afford the price of holidays in that four weeks, so they'd all go in June. You'd have lots of people taking their youngsters out of school. Well, that's happening already. That's the thing, you know, and I, listen, we'll never go to four weeks. That's not in our future. I don't even think, I think eight weeks is probably ambitious to get it down to eight weeks, but already we've a huge issue with students going out during the year. I mean, it's a constant stream. Um, so I'm not, I don't think that argument holds necessarily, you know, mm. it's already a problem for us. Um, the, the other thing as well, I suppose, 
is like since COVID, like absenteeism is becoming, it's chronic in schools, you know, it's just, it's really unusual to have a full class every day. There's, 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 there's someone missing or there's, you know, and we're, you know, obviously that's hurting everyone. So why, why do you think that I is? Wonder, why do you think that is? I think there's loads of things. I think like levels of anxiety are certainly rising. Um, students are just finding it harder to get to school. I don't know. I can't, you know, I can't pinpoint anything in specific, but there's mm. definitely, there's a struggle happening. Absolutely. And we're seeing it. And I just wonder, you know, if we gave a little bit more lee room, I mean, school, the school day is so rigid for, for students and for staff, you know, they're sitting, you know, for six hours, everything is timed, you know, they have their small break, they have their lunchtime that might've worked you know, even 20, 40 years ago. But I think, you know, our culture, our world is very different. And I think maybe we just need to be, like, I'd love to see more breaks during the day for students. If we didn't pack everything in so tightly and then have a huge three months in the summer, we could give them study breaks. They could have an hour where they just get to chill a little bit, obviously do a little bit of work, but also maybe a little bit of chat and just, you know, we need to move with the times a little bit more. You mentioned anxiety and it comes up a lot. I don't intend this to be a mischievous question, Jennifer, so forgive me. What on yeah. earth are they anxious about at 14 and 15? What are they anxious about? Well, look, again, it comes back to the technology. It comes back to social media. I don't think, like, neither of us grew up with phones in our hands. I no. honestly think. And we, unfortunately, are really poorly equipped then. We're trying our best, you know, but we are, we're struggling. The adults in the room are struggling to manage it. Um, and it's absolutely having an impact in terms of, um, in terms of their well-being. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think that for me that seems to be the biggest, the biggest one, and I do think that COVID also. Well, COVID is going to still, to be fair. Yeah. We're still recovering. You know, we're still absolutely recovering, and 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 they were very hard hit. You know, students. Um, so yeah, I think you know we need to have students in our classrooms, and I just wonder, do we need to look at how we're structuring their school day, how mm. we're structuring their school year? So you'd suggest maybe. Cut, cut out June and use those four weeks elsewhere in the year. Like with three weeks, it's three weeks it. at Christmas, is it? Or two it's weeks? Two. Two weeks two at weeks. Christmas, two weeks at Easter. Yeah. So what would you do? Extend those to both three weeks and then give two for weeks me, for the half term? Cruci- well, the crucial point for me is that October, November time. Okay. Like that is such a killer as a teacher. It's a killer from September to December, the dark mornings, the, you know, as I know, I know everyone does this, every profession, but we're talking about young people, you know, bringing them into school, like even their biological clock, they're not meant to be up that early. They're meant to be sleeping in teenagers. That's what they're, you know what I mean? So it is, it's against their, um, their developmental stage. So I think give them an extra week in those dark mornings, um, I'd love to see schools extending into June, but I know, PJ, that people will say, well, you can't do that because we have the state exams and because yes. we don't have proper, we don't have proper school facilities. That's the problem. That's always at the core of it. We don't have schools like they have in other countries, um, you know, with, with adequate facilities to allow for the state exam to happen alongside the, the usual run of things. So that's a huge issue. And all of our issues in education come back to funding. So that would have to change first. Mm. We'd have to actually be capable of doing it. Mm. Um, but it's bonkers that we can't do it. I mean, that just shows how underfunded the education system is. Yeah. So you, you reckon keep the actual number of days holidays, but redistribute them throughout the year, use them better. And around, yeah. you, and look, that's, I have to say that I agree with you completely. When you come back, 
from the summer holidays, which I usually do in, in early August, from then until December is a long arse time. I always break it sometime. In, in, I would try yeah. to break it around the jazz weekend, take an extra day or two off. It's a long time. Yeah. So you'd say, you'd it suggest is. maybe a two week break in or around October. And as they've trialled it in the UK, we have some data there to say that this could have a really significant impact. And what did they find was the impact in the classroom then when they've trialled it in the UK? Very simply that they're there. (laughs) You know, I thought it was interesting that the staff absences um, were reduced by 50%. I mean, that's huge. So, and I know that if, if if the teachers aren't, like we know this from research, you need happy, motivated, supported teachers for students to do well. Yeah. So if the teachers are struggling, the students are struggling. The atmosphere in the room is not what you want it to be That's a fair for learning point. to happen. That's a fair point. You know? Yeah. yeah. And like you said, There's also one last thing. Go ahead. Yes. So, sorry, Peter, just as I think of it, we have a lot of students from other countries now in our classrooms. Um, and a lot of those students don't speak English at home. Um, so the three months break is having a huge impact on them because okay. they're not speaking English as, as much as we need them to, to be able to access the English curriculum, okay. you know, at, at second level. So you'd be affecting them too. The long holidays, it's the like take, holiday. you're taking it's them out of the stress. immersive learning. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Jess, or Jen, we'll throw it out there and see what people say. Jennifer Horgan is a teacher and writes about education in the examiner. Uh, we've got the Easter holidays coming up from the end of March to the start of April. But what she's saying is secondary schools now, secondary schools, is it time to stop this breaking up at the end of May, take July and August off and distribute those holidays better throughout the year? Maybe have longer midterm breaks in October and in February and distribute it better for and for the number of reasons that she stated, your th- your thoughts. Now, the only thing I'd have a problem. Well, I wouldn't have a problem myself, but I can think of parents who would then be faced with the month of June, wondering, well, who's going to take care of them? Like, who's going to mind them? But sure, if they're fourteen and fifteen, they should be able to start looking after themselves at that stage. The word is your chance to win free money on Corks ninety six FM. Listen to Lorraine and Ross in the morning and all day. The word was listening. Thank you very much, lad. Trusting. You won. No way. Oh, my God. Yes way. Dingleberry for the crack. You won. Oh, my God. I'm speechless. (laughs) All you have to do is tell us the word. Tell us the word. For your chance to win the cash. Listen after 8, 11, 2 and 5 weekdays. The play. The word. The word. Only on Cork's 96FM. Do you know the way that they tell you on Christmas Day and New Year's Day what babies were born? And it's in the paper, the first baby of the year, the first baby of Christmas and all of that. I don't think we've ever seen leap babies on the paper. If anybody's listening, I'd love to... If anybody's listening who had a baby or who welcomed a new baby into the world yesterday on Leap Day. I'd love to talk to you uh, to 0818969696. Now, Johan, uh, Johan, your son Nathan, you just wanted to talk about him. He celebrated his, well, was it his 16th birthday or his 4th birthday yesterday? T- tell me all about Nathan. Morning. Good morning, P- uh, PJ. Yeah, 
To be honest, we make a joke about it, you know, um, like he's only four years old, you know, but yeah, he's actually, he's 16, you know. Yeah, he's had a few little challenges in life, I think. Yeah, you know, he was he was born with um, with club foot. Um, one in a thousand babies are born with it. Um, and I remember the day he was born, you know, we were quite um, worried about it, you know. Um, but the nurse at the time reassured us, you know, that club foot is something that can be fixed and... To be honest, um, we're actually blessed because today he's a fine, strong young man. You know, he plays rugby and football and and hurling, and and he's he's perfect. To be honest, you know, that's fantastic. He plays with Kledov, I think, and Kilmory. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, Kilmory football, Kledov um, hurling, and then he plays with Bandon Rugby Club, and then also now um, Bandon Grammar School. They play. He played in the Jerkop semi-final against Prez. That's fantastic. Well done yeah. to him, Nathan being his name. How does he feel about only having a birthday every, an actual birthday every four years? To be honest, when, when he was younger, PJ, we didn't really, um, we didn't make a big deal about it, you know, when they're, when they're small, like, you know, we kind of just celebrated it on the, but as he grew older, like, you know, he kind of, you know, every time it's, uh, it's, it's the, the actual year, we, we, we kind of made it our, our, uh, a point of it to, to give it to him, you know? Any anyone I've ever spoken to who celebrates their birthday on the 29th, who is a leap year baby, they either have a birthday on the 28th of February instead, or the or the first of March. Which one do you do? Yeah, we we decided. You know, I've 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 a son. He's, he's in February. Um, oh, sorry, in January the 13th. So then we decided we'll do Nathan in February because Louisa, my wife, her, her birthday then is the 11th of March. Right. You know, so. That, that's why we decided to go with Frederick and him, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He has, what, three brothers and one sister. So big celebrations for Leap Year Day. Absolutely, yeah, big celebrations. You know, like, um, he had an appointment in Cork, and after, you know, she took him she took him to the marina, and they drove around in a Tesla, and, and uh, then we'll, we'll get together, we'll open gifts for him, and then we're also going to do something with him Saturday as well, you know? So it's a, it's a big celebration for us as a family. Do you know anybody else? Who has a leap year baby or is a leap year baby? No, no, I don't actually. I don't. I, w- I often wondered how many kids are born on the average uh, leap year day. I'm sure it must be in the paper somewhere. Yeah, like I kind of tried to look it up, but like I, there wasn't really clear answers. You know, I kind of tried to Google it and I couldn't really see anything, you know. But um, yeah, so it's an interesting one, to be honest, you know, for, especially for us, you know, because like I said, we have a big family and he's the only one, you know, so I'm, 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 I'm actually delighted that we can, yeah. it's actually very unique, I think, anyway. This is very much a proud daddy call, isn't it, Johan? Yeah, to be honest, you know, PJ, he's come a long way, the, the young man, you know, um, I, I have so much respect for him, he's, a, he's an unbelievable lad, um, you know, with the club foot, like, you know, he's, um, he, he, he was in a cast, he had to get a new cast every week as a baby. And, you know, and he had to wear these Ponsetti shoes when he was a young man, when he started crawling. And, you know, to see him today out there on the rugby pitch and hurling and in football, like, you know, if 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 you didn't tell people that he was actually born with club food, like, and I, and I you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't even know about club food, you know, um, and, and and you know, like it's it's actually one in a thousand babies is born with it, um, mm. and and it's just you know you we have so much so much admiration for him and respect for him for you know he's a little fighter and he's f- from a very young age like even though he went through all that you know he was he never stopped smiling like he had beautiful blonde hair blue eyes 
and a smile on his face, and he's still the same today. You know, a, a great little guy, a great little fighter, and we're really, really proud of him. You know, and and so you should be. And there he is playing hurling, football, and rugby, having gone through all that. Fantastic, fantastic. Well done to Nathan, and and well done to you and and his family as well, uh, Johan. And thank you for your call. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And have a great uh, weekend celebrating your birthday, uh, Nathan. Famous sleep day babies. There aren't that many of them. Um, ja Rule, the hip-hop artist. Pedro Sanchez, the Prime Minister of Spain, had his birthday yesterday. And Superman. No, I kid you not. I kid you not. Clark Kent's birthday was the 29th of of February. Did you know that? Probably the most famous leap year baby of them all. And some leaping he did when he put on his jocks outside his outside his clothes. Uh, Superman was a leap year baby. Is a leap year Superman? What do you mean you don't believe in Superman? What do you mean you don't believe in Superman? Oh, wait, well, there's a little Superman down in West Cork, ain't he? Uh, yeah. I'd love to know was anybody, um, were there any babies born yesterday out at CUMH? Any leap year, leap day baby? I'd love to, I'm just curious. My nose is at me. If somebody will let me know. Question 10. What Irish comedy show had a character wearing an I Shot JR t shirt? Was it Father Ted? You said Father Ted, and you're not certain on it, and your gut was right when you gave the answer because you just won 2,000 euros! Thank you so much. That's amazing. I'm going to buy you two lamps for your... Um, <laughs> Listen, you are 2,000 euro richer. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, the two grand minutes. I'm getting money. Listen to play at 7.40 at 8.40 every day. With Cork Dental Care, you'll be all smiles when you see their treatments with Invisalign at corkdentalcare.ie. Lorraine and Ross in the morning. Good morning. On Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.ie.
how the holidays are distributed. Paul comes right back. Isn't it great the teacher asking and saying that they should extend certain holidays through the year and probably cut down their summer holidays? What about the parents, both of whom who work to have kids in school? Where are they supposed to get the extra time off work? The rest of them all only have 20 days or 21 days to take during the year. They can't be taking extra time off during the year. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for that. If you ever want to do that, if you're having time to take or make a call or indeed don't want to do a big long text, 83 96 96 pop us a voice note. Now, the body shop seems to be coming to the end of a time. Uh, staff at the shops across the country are now refusing to go into work. There's seven Irish uh, body shop stores and down at Oliver Plunker Street, They've been told, the five of them that worked there, that for the last two weeks of February, they will not be paid. They won't be paid for any work they've done since the 11th of February. They only heard about this in the last day or two. Now, the shops are still open so far. There are a lot of body shops have closed across the UK and the future of the company is in some doubt at the moment. But they've been told they won't be paid for the last two weeks uh, let's bring in uh, Mick Barry, who's raised this in, in the doll. Do we know what the status of the shops are, Mick, at the moment? Are they remaining open or are they closing? Morning. Uh, the shops are closing, uh, PJ. Okay. Uh, and the company is going into liquidation okay. uh, next week. And a bombshell was dropped on the workers this week. Uh, they are owed considerable sums of money. Uh, you mentioned there uh, the fact that they've told that they won't be uh, paid by their employer for the work done since the 11th of February, but they're also owed holiday pay, and they get no redundancy pay from the company. And the January wages, which were promised to them that it would come through yesterday, uh, didn't come through yesterday, and they have to keep a sharp eye on that as well. They're paid a month in hand, are they? That's basically it, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, so they didn't get proper wages yesterday. And they were told, like... This is it. You won't be paid for the last two weeks you worked for us and you won't get your holiday pay. Now, why is that? I mean, surely the company, if they're letting them go, has to pay them off. The, um, the, the There's a vulture fund hovering in the background here, uh, PJ. Uh, the, the Irish shops were separated out from the UK operation and a company called Alma24 is in charge. Right. But, you know, anyone who does a bit of a Google search will see that there's close connections between Alma24 and Aurelius, who are a notorious vulture fund. That, that's uh, why I was in some doubt, by the way, about the body. I've been following the body shop from a kind of a UK media point of view, and I, I know that they're in serious trouble over there. I mean, I, I knew there was a different kind of holding company in Ireland. I'm sorry to see that those shops are going to close seven of them around the country and uh, all these staff will lose their jobs. Yeah, there's, there's 39 workers uh, in the Republic of Ireland, uh, five workers in the shop in Cork. One of those uh, workers is owed more than €4,000. How? Um, um, it's just back pay and, and, and holiday pay. The, the workers are owed more than €10,000 uh, in total. One of the workers is single parent, responsible for three kids. Um, and... You know, I mean, we had this conversation four years ago, PJ. We, did. Uh, we weren't we weren't talking about the body shop. Uh, we were talking about Debenhams, mm-hmm. 
uh, and we had all of the handling from the Fianna Fáil and the Fine Gael and the government politicians saying that this must never be allowed to happen again. Which we had previously they, heard when it handed over at Vita Cortex. Yeah, and in Dublin and Cleary's and Paris Bakery and, I mean, the list is as long as your arm. Because the law does say, in fairness, Mick, the law does say that when a company goes into, and I know Vita Cortex didn't, but when a company goes into liquidation, first person to be sorted out is the tax man, second is the bank, so it might reverse that order. And in fact, the, the poor misfortunate staff just become a creditor way, way down the list. And there was a call after Debenhams for legislation, you were leading that call, for the legislation to be changed, which it could be, to give the workers the same priority as the banks and the taxmen. Yeah, I put down a, a bill which, you know, had a big, long, fancy title, but everybody called it the Debenhams Bill, right? It was a, sem- a simple piece of legislation. It would just make two changes. First of all, if you had a collective agreement between a group of workers and an employer and the co- company went into liquidation, that agreement would given the status legally of a debt. Um, and second of all, uh, the point that you've just made there, that the people who would be at the top of the queue, who would get the very first payout from a liquidation pot, would be the people who've put years of their lives uh, into mm building up the company or and that at least, the doors open. Or that at least they would enjoy the same status. And let's face it, the banks and the taxmen have to be satisfied. But at least the workers would have the same status, which they don't now enjoy. Yeah, workers are well down the list at the moment, uh, and that's, uh, that's wrong. And th- that bill has been um, in you know a, a doll committee for a number of years now and is not... Uh, you know, being being hooshed out of that to be moved on to the next stage. So I, I will keep plugging away on that front. And the only point I can make is that if there isn't a majority in this doll to pass that legislation, we have to make sure that there's a majority in the next doll to pass that legislation. And I, I will keep pushing uh, on that issue. And One, one um, would ask a very, it's probably a dopey question, but they'll ask it anyway. You, you would have to ask yourself, um, what politician who depends on people for their votes, which you all do, would not say to workers, look, hard luck that your company went out of business. That happens. But when it does, we'll take care of you the same way as we take care of the banks and the taxpayer, uh, or the taxman. It seems very simple to me and to you. Why isn't it so simple to others, do you think? Because, um, you know, I mean, I'll just tell it straight as I see it. Go on. The, the, two, the two big political parties in the government, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, are connected by a thousand threads um, to business interests uh, and, 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 and big companies. Mm. Uh, and they're not prepared to do anything uh, that will step on their toes or will step on their toes in a serious way. Well, so how, for would example, it hurt? how would it hurt the bank or how would it hurt the taxman to give the worker the same status in law? Uh, it w- could hurt the bank in the sense that there could be a, a reversal in the position. So instead of the bank getting their chunk of change out of a liquidation and the workers left with, it, uh, with a, a, an empty pot, uh, it could be the workers who get the chunk of change, the money that's owed to them, and, and the bank who is left holding the pot. Uh, and the government are not going to step on the bank's toes uh, to that uh, point. They did bring legislation in front of the doll this week, which did increase workers' rights in a liquidation situation, but only 
uh, in terms of being able to access more information. I'll vote for it. It gives more information for workers. Mm. But it doesn't bite the bullet on this issue of making sure that uh, uh, workers are not shortchanged. And like the body shop workers, this may happen to them. It may not. It may, it may and it may not. But there is a danger that they don't get all the monies and entitlements that, that are, are due to them. That should never, ever happen again. But until there is um, a government uh, making the laws in this country uh, who are prepared to bite down on that and go against the lobbying of the business interests, it ain't going to happen. So, I mean, people will be have many issues in their mind when they're thinking about voting next time around. That's that's one of them that they should bear in mind. Certainly an interesting one. Mick, we'll, we'll, we'll stay across it, this particular story. Mick Barry and I would probably disagree an awful lot more than we agree on a lot of things. <laughs> Music and sport being included, although we'd agree on spurs, I think. Um, certainly we wouldn't agree on punk rock, which is, Mick was a punk rocker, did you know that? Anyway, that's it, by the by. But I agree with it there. Like, if your company goes under, and it happens, it's part of an economy that some companies don't survive. It's unfortunate, but that's how it is in an economy. Some companies don't make it. When a company goes into liquidation, the taxman and the bank the first people who get sorted. That's the law. The workers are left down the list as just another creditor. And Mick would like to see them brought up and given equal status with the bank and the taxman. We don't agree on much, me and Mick Barry, but we'd agree on that. We'd certainly agree on that. 0818 96 96 96, your thoughts are welcome. Uh, caller, not applying to this situation, but we agree that there are small businessmen who often end up with less money and their employees when the company goes bust, and that's very unfair, smaller outfits. It's a valid point. It's a very valid point, and thank you for it. Oh, wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. That came up at the end of the news, and I just made a note, and Kevin is straight in on it. This survey um, that most Irish people call their mothers ma'am. I'll get it from the newsroom and go, and, and because I think we have some fun with this, it being Friday. Um, that survey that said most Irish people call their mother ma'am, or do they call them ma'am or mum or mother? Oh, it's there. Sorry, it's at the top of my sheet. I already have it. I already have it. Thanks. Uh, I'll get it to you in a minute. But this, I'll, I'll open it. Hold on. Give me a second. Give me a second. Now I need to move around my screen. There it is. Hold on. Now I'll open this up. So, yeah, they, they call their... Two-thirds of Irish people call their mothers ma'am. Um, 13% say mammy, and nearly 10% call her mum. But 6% just call them mom. Who uses their mother's first name? I call me mother mother, or ma'am, or ma. Um, I think, yeah, I've never called her mum in my life. Oh, my sister calls her mum, I think. What do you call your mother? It's Mother's Day next week. This is why they did this. What do you call your mother? Do you call her ma'am? Mammy? Mum? Mom? Do you call her by her first name? My mother had a, had a, my mother had a nickname at one point, which I shall not repeat because I may have to see her later and she won't boil the kettle for me if I repeat it on the air. But what do you call your mom? Or your ma'am? Or your mother? Or your mammy? What do you, what do you, what do you call her? Thanks. I'd forgotten completely, Fergal, that I had that in in my in my running order. Thank you. Just for the fun of it on Friday. What do you call your mammy? And mammies, what do you want to be called? 
there's this thing that has happened where you hear a lot of younger kids, I think it seems to happen with young teenagers now, 12, 13, 14. They start calling their mum or their mum or their Emmy by her first name. And I'm sorry, but I think that sounds all wrong. I think that sounds all all off. You know, uh, I, I do like, I mean, I do, but there you go. 0818969696. Kevin says, how many listeners called their mam by her first name and then lived to tell the tale, which is a point. Yeah, or is there um, a nickname that you prefer for your mammy? Does your mammy have, go, you want, you want me to use the nickname? You want me to use the nickname? My mother's nickname was given to her by my oldest friend. <laughs> this man and I, Kerry man and I, have been friends since the very early 80s. And he christened my mother Rambo. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And he would still call it to her, to her face, to this day. 0818969696. Mick Barry was back on to see. You can tell PJ we wouldn't agree on spurs. Lifelong Manchester United fan for my sins. For your sins, Mick Barry, and they are many. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity gossip. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors for the Volkswagen ID Buzz. Fully electric, fully connected, and full of new ideas. NewmarketVolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96 FM. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Mammy or ma'am or mom or whatever. I'd love, just, just for the fun of it, like a bit of crack on a, on a Friday. Something else they did with that survey actually was um, this was commissioned by FlyFit, a, a gym chain. 66% of people called their mothers ma'am. That's fair enough. Then they asked them what type of a gym class would they bring their mothers too? <laughs> yeah. This obviously is promoting their own business. But anyway, they said um, 43% of those they asked would bring their mother to a dance class. Pilates, a quarter of them. And yoga, 18%. Would you bring your mother to a dance class when you do rumba or zumba or whatever you do? Or would you bring your mother to a yoga class? Half the world is doing yoga now. Would you bring your mother to a yoga class? Or to uh, Pilates. I'm not even sure what Pilates is. Sorry, I'm not even sure what Pilates is. But dance. Would you bring your mother to a dance? Would you bring your mother to the gym? Full stop. Question mark. <laughs> 0818 96 96 96. It's Friday. We go a small bit off the wall on a Friday. Speaking of mums, I don't know what she likes to be referred to 
uh, Jill Carney. Do, 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 do you like to be referred to as Mammy, Mam, or Mum? Good morning. Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. Which do you prefer? Um, so I kind of go by anything, to be honest, really. You know, any of them kind of get my attention at this stage. Great enough. Okay. Now, the reason we're talking is, um, Jill Carney, I, I've never met you, but I've heard of your work and I've seen your, your stuff on Instagram. You qualified as a doctor and then gave yes. it all up to become a full-time activist. Start there yeah. for me. Talk me through that. Well, so I actually, I did my degree in medicine. I qualified in 2011 and I worked for a short period as a doctor. And my um, my now eldest son, was uh, he was only one at the time. And while I was so committed to my work, um, the balance of trying to be, you know, contribute as a parent um, and also contribute to an extremely demanding job was really really tough and at the time I decided because he was so young to take time out and I didn't go I, I had intended to go back to it kind of sooner but then I had other kids in the meantime um, and I have four kids now but it kind of allowed me time to explore other areas of work and um, I kind of went into photography work and content work um, and activism wasn't really a huge part of my work until you know the last few months really, really? Um, but it, I was able to kind of you know, I suppose use my skills and resources in content and, you know, I suppose a lot of people who became involved in the campaign for Palestine um, were looking for ways to help and that's really how it tied into my my work and I saw this as something that I could use my skills for in particular. Your passions have been taken in the last few months for Absolutely. and towards Palestine. Why that one in particular, Jill? Why is that the thing that that dragged you into activism? So for me, I suppose human rights is always something I've been really um, interested in and really, you know, I'm passionate about. And when the videos start to come out um, from Gaza of children and it just broke my heart. I don't think there's anyone, you know, who can watch those videos and think that there's any justification for what children in Gaza are being exposed to. I mean, the UNICEF came out and said that Gaza is the most dangerous place in the world to be a child right now. And what what they have suffered in the last few months is completely unacceptable. Um, you know, where do we draw the line for humanity that we accept that children, you know, I mean, there's up to 14,000 children now have been killed in Gaza. And to put that into context, right, I mean, the numbers, to put numbers on dead children, it's just, you know, it's so hard to get your head around it. But if we put it into the context of, say, Cork, right, if if in the morning we woke up and we were told, um, these are based on numbers now from January that I did when it, the number was closer to 13,000. But if we were told that all of the children in Cove, Middleton, Yall, Whitegate, Carrigtool, Castle Martyr and Cloyne were dead, would we accept this as, you know, as justification for anything, we absolutely would not accept this. And mm. I mean, it goes beyond even just the numbers of dead children out there being starved to death. Um, and it's just the, the, the line has been crossed so long ago at this stage. I was listening and to he, a UNICEF activist, actually a senior UNICEF aid worker yesterday on the on the radio news, and he was close to tears. As he was explaining, yeah. and these are tough, UNICEF volunteers, as you know, they're tough people, was very close to tears, explaining yeah. the simple thing about, they reckon, the, the World Health Organization reckons that we all need 11 to 15 litres of water a day, 
just to live. And that the children in, in, in Gaza at the moment, and the adults, but the children in particular, are struggling to get their hands on two litres a day, and half of that will be dirty. It's frightening. I mean, the rationing that's going on, particularly in the north of Gaza, where there is relatively no aid getting in and aid trucks are being targeted. Um, and I don't know if you saw, there was, they're calling it the flower massacre that happened in northern Gaza yesterday. I saw where, that. The, 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 the Israelis are saying it was a stampede. The, the, the Palestinians are saying they shot at us. Uh, my big problem well, with these, you know, is, you know, who's telling the truth. But at the same time, more children died. And that's the thing you are concerned about. I'm absolutely concerned about the children that are dying and the fact of the matter is is that the aid isn't getting in and it's not getting in because Palestinians aren't getting in aren't letting it in. It's not getting in because Israel is controlling the borders to such an extent that the aid isn't being allowed in. The aid trucks are backed up in Rafah for miles. So the aid is all sitting there waiting. Mm. So to call it self defence while starving children, I mean, it's completely, It's it, there's no logic to it and we're gone beyond even considering that. Um, and I think, you know, people, October 7th has been an awakening for people as to the history in the Middle East, specifically in that area. But if you look at the human rights uh, violations there, especially the life of a child in Palestine, um, is just, it's, it's unbelievable what they're subjected to. Um, they're subjected to you know, tear gas being shot at them, walking to school every day. Um, they, you know, the their villages are raided by the military occupation army. The, what the terror that they are subjected to on a daily basis. And if you look at the UN Charter on the rights of the child, children are have the right to you know, a safety, protection from war, to a home, to play and rest, to education. They're being denied all of these things on a daily basis ever before October 7th. I heard someone say on a late night uh, radio programme that I listened to, uh, Jill, where the presenter, I wouldn't say that the presenter would be somewhat sympathetic to Israel, but would be sort of taking that side of the fence on occasions. And I thought it was a, a very simple, concise sentence where the caller said, War is for adults, not children. And I thought that was a very powerful statement. Yeah, but I, and I suppose you like there's never war without children being d- directly impacted. And for me to see politicians in suits debating about, you know, um, the nuances while children are dying yeah. on a day-to-day basis, these people will never pull children out of rubble. And that's, you know, they're seeing it from a place of privilege um, and a, a place of power. And they're not, there's no consideration for the people who just want to live their lives, who want to see their children grow up with equality and um, with, you know, the potential for a future. I mean, the, the par- people, parents in Palestine have such worries about their children on a day-to-day basis. Um, it's such, the, the lives of children there are so impacted um, by what is happening in the region. And, you know, it's not, it, you know, that it's not up for debate how, how their lives are impacted. Like there's been so many human rights organizations, including um, an Israeli human rights organization, BT Salem, who, who have written reports on how it is an apartheid regime. The South Africans, I mean, 
we're not going to debate with the South Africans what they think is apartheid. And they have said that Israel's apartheid must end. And they said that in the International mm-hmm, Court of Justice mm-hmm. in January. Um, yeah. Nelson Mandela has said that, you know, they, they he said, we know too well that our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of Palestinians. So it's clear that the human rights violations are yeah. they're blatant and the lack of impunity has led them to get to where they are today. Yeah. Let, let's come back, though, and focus on the children and your your emotions as a mammy looking at this happening yeah. to other children that's what you're focused on and you're trying to and you're you're telling the story of the children through your absolutely. instagram through your activism absolutely well i just want people to see them like the, the children in gaza the children anywhere in the world they're children of the world we have a duty of care to all children um, and they don't have a voice at the moment. And that's why I'm trying through my work, I suppose, online. I'm trying to get people to connect with the fact that they, you know, it is all of our responsibility as humanity to advocate for children all over the world um, who cannot advocate for themselves. I mean, they're not in a position. They have no voices in all of this. And they are being subjected to the worst possible conditions. It is absolutely inhumane. And that's why I want people to mobilise. I mean, if you were to sit there all day long and look at these videos, you you would be paralysed with grief. And I know that. And I know how hard it is to watch the level of suffering. So what I'm trying to do is get people to channel that, that sense of grief and injustice and take action in whatever way they can. And I realise, like people, I know people have so much going on in their lives everywhere in the world you know when people have different capacity to take it on um, and to mobilize but if you can find your capacity in some way to contribute to this mm. what um, would you what would you like what would you level. like other moms to do or other adults in general but other moms what would you like other moms listening to us this morning who? so this i mean there's so many options i suppose joining a group is an amazing thing you can do we have a new group in Quark families for palestine um, and I, I, you know, we see it kind of as a future thing for other global injustice issues. Join a group, and there's within that there's support. There's so many ideas as how you can contribute to, um, to the campaign. The Cork Palestine Solidarity Campaign are an amazing group. I'm also involved with, um, there's Mothers Against Genocide group who are a Dublin and Belfast group, and they are an incredible bunch of women. Also, they've kind of, and it, it's amazing the people you will meet who will, you know, educate you through these groups. I mean, Claire Holohan, I don't know if you're aware of her, but she, her, her father was the um, Irish ambassador to Palestine for years, and she's in the Mothers Against Genocide group. And she, you know, has really given us so much insight into life in Palestine. Um, and it, you need to really have, I suppose, a good grasp of what's happening to realise, you know, that we're all part of the global movement. Mm. And Can I, I ask you a question, Jill? Yeah. Think of a mum who is sitting at home now having her coffee. Children are in school. Yeah. They'll be home at one o'clock. She'll have to do lunches and wash uniforms and yeah. all for the weekend. And she's listening to you and she might have looked at your wonderful Instagram. And she'll yeah. say, Jill, I agree with everything you say. But yeah. what difference will it make if I turn up in the Grand Parade tomorrow and tell you I agree with you. I won't save one child's life. Focus on that. Okay, so I suppose you're standing in solidarity with a movement. There are Palestinians in our diaspora. There's people in our diaspora right now. There's people who come to our marches every Saturday who have family in Gaza, who are, you know, they're so um, burdened with grief and 
trying to know that their family's safe, to see people come out and stand with them and say, we see what's going on and we support you. And I suppose moving on from that, we're heavily involved in the BDS campaign, which is the Palestinian campaign for boycott, uh, divestment and sanctions. And boycotting is really made goods um, is a very simple thing you can do and we're focusing on products like the Loopy Loo Baby Wipes and Little at the moment um, things that are made in Israel because we, unfortunately the world listens to um, capitalistic uh, consequences and that's where it has to begin okay. and okay. we have to start with Give me half a dozen brands Jill Give me half a dozen brands off the top of your head that you would advise okay, people so not to buy at the moment Okay, so I suppose the BDS movement are are suggesting a targeted campaign because there's so it's so wide that if you were to try and target everything, it becomes less effective. So if you if people want to go log on to the BDS website, they give very specific brands like um, AXA um, HP, and these are um, companies that have um, investments in Israeli banks or, or have ties with um, investments in Israel. Also, the pharmaceutical company Tiva. Um, if you look, go into your local supermarkets and you look at fruit and vegetable, you look at the at the packaging, and it should, if it says made in Israel, they're also products to avoid. I see. I see. All right. Jill, good luck with your continued activism and people can find your Instagram. It's Jilly Bean Girl on Instagram. That's it. With a G. Yeah, exactly. And you're a damn good photographer besides everything else. Fair play to you. Thank you. Yeah. And it's been a huge part of my work as well. Um, And it's an interesting way to, you know, integrate it into other, you know, into social justice as well. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Jill Kearney. Yep. That's, she's hugely involved in the activism for Palestine at the moment. And it's all over the place. And look, those brands, look, people have, you could start listing off brands. If you want to find out more about brands, look, just look up BDS. Just look up BDS. If you want to find more, if it's, if it's in your, of your mind to not buy something because of its connections or supposed connection to Israel, then look it up and and make that choice for yourself. It wouldn't be up to me to tell you not to buy anything or, or to buy it or whatever. Thank you for that, Jill. 0818969696. Just something to share with you, by the way. You may remember that uh, a few weeks ago, and I'll pull this interview out and we might get it again on Monday and have a listen back to it. You might remember a man called Mahmoud, who I spoke to on the show a few weeks back now, and he had lost contact with his wife. Uh, he has worked in Ireland in Cork County Council, in fact, for quite a number of years. And he had lost contact with his wife, uh, who is in Gaza. And I was delighted this morning to hear from uh, Sharon, who's a colleague of his, and indeed in a previous life was a colleague of ours here in 96FM. Sharon messaged me very early this morning to tell me that... His wife is still alive and they have been reunited since our interview. And I'm very, very happy to hear that. Very, very happy to hear that. Hi there, it's Ryan Tuberty here. Join me every Sunday morning at 10 on Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM. There's a mixture of chat, fun and the best music to kickstart your Sunday. So we'll talk to you then. The Ryan Tuberty Show on Sunday in association with High and I. For every kind of driver, there's a High and I. Find yours at highandi.ie. Cork's 96FM. Just over four and a half months now since Middleton was devastated by flooding from Storm Babbitt and indeed we read in the paper yesterday where Storm Babbitt was made worse by global warming okay, fine it won't do anything for the people affected by it 
to know that, but there you go. Um, Damien O'Brien has Fox and Company menswear in Milton, and you're delighted to be able to tell us, Damien, that you are open again. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, um, thanks for having me on. Um, we reopened Fox & Co. Uh, on Wednesday after um, you know, a long few months of refurbishment. There was a lot of damage done mm-hmm. on the 18th of, of October. We did manage to open for a few weeks in the run-up to Christmas, um, which would be our busy period. Um, but that was flying on one wing as it was because um, the, uh, the shop itself uh, and the fittings had to be completely uh, changed out. Um, so yeah, so delighted we're open again. Um, it, coming into a kind of hopefully a busy period where you know dads are coming in for confirmation and communion outfits and uh, coming into the kind of spring summer. Um, but the window for selling um, is quite tight now in this season because of the fact that we were closed. But um, yeah, it's good. And, and look, Middleton is definitely bouncing back. Good. Um, good. Each as each week goes, there's more businesses reopening. Take me back to that day, the 18th of October. What do you remember? Uh, well, yeah, well. The previous Saturday was the that ill-fated day when uh, Ireland went out of work up to New Zealand. So right. I was feeling um, as low as everyone else. But what I didn't realize, I, I, I had COVID and tested positive on the Sunday morning. So by Wednesday, I was feeling a bit better and um, working from home. And um, midday, uh, I was just waiting to take a test. And, and midday, my wife rang me, Clara, because we have two shops here in Middleton. We have Fox & Co. on the main street and we have Flamingo on Connolly Street, just on the Dungordy Road. And... Um, she called me and said, look, could you have a look on the on the cameras? There's water outside the shop. Now, Middleton, as everyone knows by now, would have been prone to a certain amount of flooding at a certain end of the street over the years. I think the most recent kind of bad one was 2015. Um, so we would never expect... We've had Flamingo, for example, open since 2018. And uh, when we selected the property, you know, we asked that question, um, does this part of the town flood? And, you know, the feedback was it didn't. Um, so I was surprised to see on the cameras... Um, a wheelie bin floating past the front door of Flamingo, um, which is closer to the to the Balnacara end of town, which is where we normally would see the flooding. So um, at that stage, we didn't think that it was going to flood as far up the main street as where Fox and Co is, which is closer to Super Value and the um, the Onacara. Um But by two o'clock in the afternoon, by the time I you know, thankfully uh, straight away did a test and was negative and. Uh, Jumped in the car and got to Middleton. Um, by then, it was kind of too late. Um, the, in both shops, the water was at a level of about two and a half feet. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a bit sad to kind of see new stock that had come in for um, our autumn, winter, busiest season, um, just in, in boxes floating around our, our, our store. Ruined, yeah, of yeah, course. So, Completely yeah, ruined. Yeah. yeah, so, um, yeah, it was, it was tough. A tough pill to swallow. Um, but look, um, we don't live in Middleton Cove, so uh, you know the way I've always looked at this is business is tough. It's been tough for us. You know we have six or seven employees, both part time and full time. Uh, we wanted to keep paying them and uh, you know hang on to our staff, which we managed to do. Um, it wasn't our home, and it's just sad to see the number of homes that were affected. So you know we kind of looked at a bit of a silver lining there. Yeah. Um, and one one definite silver lining, PJ, is the community and the spirit um, yeah. I know you've probably had people on several times talking countless, about this but countless people just talking to witness about it, it. But, uh, yeah it was just fantastic it pulled together it, it, everyone put together business and people who lived there and just people who had some connection at all with Middleton really pulled together did you get any help from the, the government support schemes that were trumpeted and fanfared at the time 
Yeah, well, look, um, we thought we were going to need that um, because, again, in all these situations, you know, you renew your policy every year. You you think you're over, uh, you know, you're across all the fine print. So I obviously went straight away, you know, looked at a policy for it's it's a it's the same company covered both shops, and there was a line in there that seemed to say that we weren't covered for storm and flood damage um, and that was our initial interpretation so for about eight days we were um, this was we your were, insurance now yeah insurance so um, so, so look we're, we're, I'm lucky enough to have a, a good friend um, from West Cork who whose brother owns the Monster Arms um, Hotel in Bandham flood mm-hmm. for years so I called him and you know he gave me some very good advice about how to approach things with the insurance and, and kind of ask them to send out a loss adjuster even if it didn't look like we were covered. So look, eight days later, uh, eight stressful days, but um, eight days later we, we got confirmation that uh, we did have to cover. So Great. to answer your question, we didn't have to go down the route of the government scheme that was uh, run through the Red Cross, but we have many colleagues and friends that... Um, that did go that route. Um, but, um, now, it did take a number of, of months to, um, number of weeks to, to run through the whole insurance. And it's, it's an education, I guess, once you kind of see what they're looking for. Except for but, uh, my, ne- my next fine. question you probably anticipate, will you get it again, flood insurance? Um, as, I, as I stand right now, if it floods tomorrow, we're covered because our policy runs September. September. So, um, so, so I'm covered up until September. I can't remember what date. I think it's the 10th of right. September, but I'm pretty certain after that, um, you know, I haven't had the conversation yet. I, um, I'm not trying to bring it on yet, but um, I would not expect insurance to cover us um, after after this event. Um, and look, the main kind of approach that the OPW take and the County Council in their flood relief schemes is that by putting a system and scheme in place, it allows homeowners and businesses to you know reachieve the ability to get uh, to get insurance so mm-hmm. we look forward to that happening hopefully and hopefully it happens sooner rather than later Damien good luck with Fox and Co reopening which and indeed with Flamingo uh, also two fine uh, traditional businesses uh, clothing businesses men's and ladies in Middleton reopened since Wednesday after the flooding of Storm Babbitt uh, and I know that the people of East Cork in particular will live in fear of a return of something like Babette later this year, early next. It's, 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 it must be an awful way to have to live. Thank you, Damien. 0818969696. We have a few people wanting to tell us what they call their mammy or their mam or their mom. I'll get to that. A bit of fun for Friday. But first, it's that time of the week again. Times for hours to protect. To protect. Brought to you by Cork's 96 FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hours to protect.ie for more info. This week on Earth to Protect, we learn about the impact of DPEC on climate tech advancement and sustainability initiatives across Europe. A new wave of innovation is on the rise that could reshape our future and transform Europe's economic and societal landscape. To ride this wave, we need to shift the conventional approach of operating our innovation ecosystem and explore an approach where design, science and entrepreneurship come together to bring forward new as well as reshape existing solutions. 
Republic of Work has created Deep Tech Fest Ireland to help reach these milestones. Programme manager Aishna Gogia explains how Republic of Work examines how Deep Tech can lead to a carbon neutral future. Deep Tech is not just for people within the scientific community. It's, it's basically um, a beacon of hope for our planet to solve some of the most pressing challenges before us. You know, year on year, we've been bombarded with daunting statistics around, you know, the plastic choked oceans or greenhouse gas emissions and so on. So why do we keep talking about the problem and why don't we move to the solution? And this is what we'd be exploring at Deep Tech Fest Ireland, which is happening next week on the 7th of March in our Cork offices on the South Mall. The way we've set out the event is for us to sort of do a deep dive on, you know, moving from imagination to actually how do we get uh, all of these technologies implemented whether it's AI use in optimizing energy in real time or reducing waste and emissions within our agricultural dairy sector or, you know, coming up with your resources and materials on how we produce food, uh, make it much more sustainable and less resources intensive. This is the second year Deep Tech Fest Ireland will take place. So we had our first edition last year on the 27th of March, which was well received by the ecosystem here in Ireland. And we're delighted to be back with a second edition where we have a lot more, uh, a lot more uh, people joining us from the wider EU uh, as well as the States as well. And what topics on the day will be included? So we are doing a deep dive on sustainable manufacturing, the concept of circular bioeconomy and what is the role of deep tech in enhancing our sustainability goals. And, you know, what, when we talk about green energy transition, what does that mean? How are we actually progressing towards those policies and so on? As well as what is the landscape like here in EU as well as Ireland? At Deep Tech Fest Ireland, people are hoping to find answers to questions they've been asking. The questions are always around how do we cut down on our greenhouse gas emissions? How, as citizens, uh, how do we play the role of being a good citizen and being involved in these activities? Uh, how do we, you know, make this planet better? How do we uh, better our lives, the planet health and so on? And we'll be finding answers to all those questions, whether it's food waste, whether it's plastic waste, fashion waste. How do we go about bringing in the concept of circular economy? Those would all be the questions around environment and going towards a carbon neutral future. Deep Tech Fest Ireland will bring together a group of industry experts, investors, policy makers and innovators to examine the latest advancements and address critical challenges in sectors ranging from agriculture to healthcare. We're delighted to actually welcome our keynote speaker, G from SOSV. Uh, they run the Hack Accelerator program out, uh, out of uh, the United States. So they invest heavily in uh, hardware companies, hardware tech companies. So we're delighted to have them as a keynote speaker. They'll be talking about, you know, uh, the companies they've been invested in and what kind of impact, you know, these companies are making. And talking about much more local to Cork, we do, uh, we're joined by Catherine Sheridan. She is leading the way in hydrogen fuel. Uh, we're delighted to have some of the startups like Happy Earth, Bladebridge, Hebra. They're all working around the concept of circular economy based out of Munster. And as well as some of our, uh, some of our ecosystem partners are flying down from Munich to talk about building uh, a deep tech ecosystem beyond borders. So we're delighted to have such an extensive and wide, wider audience this time. 
To learn more about DMAGFest Ireland, visit republicofwork.com or check the show notes of this episode. Hours to Protect, brought to you by Cork's 96FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more info. Alright, bit of fun. Thank you, Katie. Bit of fun with um, <laughs> with your mum's mammy's ma mother of all her. Though, there was a cork when, we, when I was going to school. A lot of young fellas called their mum Dolade or Dolady, but Dolade. Dolade. I remember here, Dolade. I don't think anyone calls their mother Dolade anymore. Maraid, our own Maraid uh, in the newsroom. Ask Maraid Tuig what she calls her mum. Uh, she might say, Mom, Mom, Rita, Reets, Mammy T. Or if we're having the crack, she'll call me your one. And then we end up in convulsions laughing. Oh, that's from Rita. From Rita, official food supplier to election coverage at Cork's 96FM. But that's another story entirely. <laughs> Have a lovely weekend, right? Um, yeah, Damien's on news this morning. And he had some news on breakfast. I was looking at this in the sun they're talking about bringing back um, bringing back the naked gun rebooting the naked gun now if you don't know what I'm talking about you're probably a bit young but go and look it up the naked gun with ne- Leslie Nielsen there was a series of movies brilliant I think Priscilla Presley was in this as well they were brilliant comedies back in the day now you wouldn't get them today they'd be run out of the cinema for all sorts of non-PC Stuff, but back then they were the best. They were just brilliant. The Naked Gun were absolutely fantastic. There's talk of a reboot with Liam Neeson. What? Liam Neeson. Now that's the bit I kind of said, huh, excuse me. They're going to, the, the part that was played by Leslie Nielsen, they're now talking about casting Liam Neeson. That should be very interesting if it ever happens. On, I asked a question, I just threw it out there with regard to exercise a while ago, the difference. I, I asked what Pilates is, because I genuinely have no idea what Pilates is. And Dermot, Dermot says, Pilates has no spiritual content. Yoga has more exercises. But in itself, Dermot's words now, please, not mine. In itself, yoga is a religion. Is it? Is it? The yoga, the, the people in my life who do yoga would never consider it to be a religion. I speak particularly of the Queen Bee who loves her yoga. I don't think she'd ever speak of it as a religion, although they do start and finish with Namaste, which is kind of a prayer. That could go anywhere, that discussion. I affectionately call my mother the general. <laughs> says Pat, because she's been our boss since day one. Just always called her mum. I'm in my 60s. That's from M. Always ma. Bear says, Morning PJ, my son calls me Muds. And mother, if it's serious. <laughs> Anthony, my mother is the boss. Ma'am, when we were at home, but if we're out and about, it was Catherine. Really? And my son calls me May. That's from Bev. Uh, my son of 24 calls me me old flower, says Geraldine. <laughs> And Shiona, I call her mum. My dad is English, which influenced me, as well as reading lots of Enid Blyton. Ah, Enid Blyton. That's from Shiona. Thanks. 0818 96 96 96. Me ma'am like. Me ma'am. 
or mum, which is, let's try and figure that out before the end of the programme. They tell me that in Cork, mum is popular rather than ma'am. Because years ago you'd have said, no, everyone calls their mother ma'am in Cork. Actually, no. So let's try and figure out which is it in Cork. Let's try and do it before midday. Is it ma'am or is it mum? The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818-396-9696-0818-396-9696-0818-396-9696-0818-396-9696-0818-396-9696-0818-396-9696-0818-396-9696-0818-396-9696-0818-396-9696-0818-396-9696-0818-396-9696-0818-396-9696-0818-396
at half past seven. We have problems. We will come back to that one day. But the hotels of Ireland have been saying at their annual conference this year, the Irish Hotels Federation, they have been saying that they're concerned about a drop in bookings. The chair of the Cork branch of the Federation is Joe Kennedy, the gaffer up at the fantastic Maldon up there, the old Norton Infirmary Hotel, as some people call it. Uh, Joe Kennedy, who I've spoken to before, um, he's concerned that uh, the bookings are, are well down. And so too is the Hotel Federation in, in general. Um, Michael Magner, uh, the gaffer owner down at Vienna Woods, has been elected the new president of the uh, Hotels Federation, having been formerly its vice president and chair of the Cork branch in in years gone by. I talked to to Michael in just a second, but you know, when I read that newspaper story about the Hotels Federation being concerned about bookings, um, I might tell you now, and I can prove this if 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 I need to, although I won't name the hotel. But um, there's a hotel that we go to in Kerry a lot at New Year. We've gone there quite a few times at New Year, and when you go down for the New Year, it costs you an extra couple of quid. But it's kind of our Christmas and New Year present to ourselves, so we don't mind spending a bit of money on it. We save up for it and whatever. But we came this year we were checking out on the 2nd of January and I went downstairs to to pay and I put down provisionally a booking for next year because we were very happy with the room and very happy with everything so I came back up we're packing our bags and I got the ping in my email that my booking was confirmed for the same dates next year the price had gone up by a third a third now Two nights in Killarney a New Year would probably cost you the bones of 600 quid no matter where you go. But the hotel that we had booked was going up to 840 for next New Year. Needless to say, we won't be going back to that hotel, much as we love it, for New Year. It's on that note I'll bring in Michael Magner, newly elected president of the hotel's Federation. Michael, congratulations on that. And you've been running a fine house down at Vienna Woods for long enough and you deserve the new position. But focus on that. If hotels are have bookings are going down, is it any wonder if they're pulling stunts like that? Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and good morning to your listeners. Um, look, you, you did the right thing, PJ. I mean, the fact of the matter is it's uh, you, you were offered a price for accommodation uh, sometime in the future. In this case, it was 12 months on, and you were quoted a price, and if it wasn't the price that you wanted to pay, you did not buy it, and, and that was the right thing to do. Um, well, it was the, the increase, the Michael, the ridiculous increase. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I don't know the hotel and I don't want to know the hotel and I don't know the rationale behind the pricing or what pricing that they, they suggested to you. But what I can share with your listeners is that over the last 12 months, we've seen an absolutely astronomical increase in business operating costs. And I don't speak on behalf of my members in that comment because they've told me, but I know from my own business as well, we've seen unbelievable cost inputs. And that hasn't been helped by the decision by the government to increase the VAT rate 
rate, which was 9% to 13.5% at the, the 1st of September last year, where the industry and particularly food-led businesses were arguing that by increasing VAT by 50%, it was going to cause a, a, an avalanche of challenges for businesses. And we've seen that actually profiled out since the start of the year and in fact it has been covered in your 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 own segments as well on 96FM mm. and and when you're in a situation whereby you're trying to operate a business and in order to to get to a point whereby a business is sustainable charges have to be applied to your customer base and in some cases uh, there are they're higher than what sometimes people might be expected to pay and in other cases they may be lower than what people are expected to pay but across the year from an average perspective Perspective, we've seen cost inputs, and, and uh, actually, you mentioned it at the start of the segment here that we've just come out of our annual conference, which was a very successful conference in Cavan uh, this year. But what was most worrying about it is that businesses are seeing uh, cost increases in operating their business far outstrip the pace of inflation. So what that means is that um, you know it, it's reported we're seeing eight percent increases in our business operating costs, where inflation is dropping back to somewhere between three and four percent. So that doesn't stand up. So you're in a right. situation then where you're going to have to remodel the way that you might okay. do your business or at certain times of the year, because remember, there's only one New Year celebration and perhaps if people were to look outside those core dates that there might be better value to be got out there and look. And undoubtedly there is, Michael, but you see there's an I'll pick you up on that argument. People want to celebrate peak times at that peak time. And and if you can sell out the hotel, if you can sell out the hotel off peak for a third of the price or half the price, you can sell out the hotel at peak time for that price too. You, the, the price doesn't miraculously go up just because of the date on the calendar. It's put up because of the date on the calendar. Look, potentially, and every business has their own way of modeling how they charge their prices. But I suppose, you know, that's true to not just the hotel industry. That's true true to the airline industry. In fact, I listened to a radio segment yesterday whereby somebody was explaining that the cost of airline seats over the Easter period was way more expensive than either side of the Easter holidays. Um, Also, uh, in an earlier conversation I had with somebody this morning, the Eurovision Song Contest, I was told, is taking place in Malmo in a few weeks time and the, the prices of, of hotel accommodation and access even to, to Sweden and to Malmo in particular is an awful lot higher. Well we know the economics of supply and demand we do, we do, we yeah, do know and, that. And this is it and, and that's what comes down to it. it it's down to supply and demand and mm. you know and, and, and on, I mean I'm not, to def- I'm not on to defend that but I'm on to say well this is the reality of, of the situation if you're down to your last number of rooms or if you're down to where the supply Supply far exceeds demand. I, I, you know, you're in a situation, and I think it's also important to say, and this has been well catalogued over the last 12 months. You know, the hotel industry has come in for you know major, I suppose, a spotlight in terms of pricing, and that's fine. We, you know, we, we have to defend our industry, and that's important too. But I think it's important to point out that business costs have absolutely, inc- and I and I speak from my own experience. That's how I know, um, and and I'm qualified to give that comment then because. 
I know from my own business, the cost inputs, they're absolutely eye-watering. My own electricity bill in my hotel in December just passed was €21,000 mm-hmm. PJ. And in order for me to have that €21,000, I would need it to have, for one month, I would need it to have turned 120000 really the bill by the time I have my VAT paid and then my, my costs associated with servicing that business to have that 20000 uh, to pay my energy bill. So what's left at the end of the day in terms of what you might classify as profit is very little. And unfortunately, when we see hotels busy or restaurants busy, we're, 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 we're walking by and say, oh God, these places are flying. Yes, they might have the, the heads in, in, in the restaurant seats or, or, or in the hotel beds. Mm. But what the business is actually making at the bottom line is very concerning because remember, you know, in Ireland, the hotel industry has an amazing product when you compare it to uh, Europe, for example. And Irish people have a, an incredible, uh, I suppose, really relationship with Spain, for example, and they go on holidays across to Spain, but mm-hmm. a four-star hotel in Ireland versus a four-star hotel in Spain, I would argue, is is unbelievable in comparison to a four-star hotel in Spain. And when you bring that back, businesses need to be able to, to if they, they, they make their profits, save those profits to invest back into the businesses. And if businesses can't reinvest, then it puts the potential viability of the business at risk. And it's down to, and if you were to, and if you were to bring it back to a granular level, you know, I earn a, a weekly salary and I try to put away some of my salary in the form of savings. A business is no different. A business I understand tries that, to put Michael. away what's called profit right. and savings and we have to do that. I know? understand that, but you see what has, what has got the the point now is that, and I, 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 we have it here all the time. And I, I've, I've talked to restaurateurs, and I've talked to publicans, and I'm talking to hoteliers as well. And everyone says the same thing: the cost of doing business has gone way up. And I understand that, I do. But at the same time, the cost of of, of doing business has gone up across the globe. It's gone up in Spain. It's gone up in France. It's gone up in Germany. It's gone up in the UK. We seem to be unique here in the incredible cost of getting a hotel to stay in. I don't, I, I don't accept that because it's down to, okay, so the perception is that the hotel is more expensive, but the reality of it is that while they have gone up, by particular same percentages maybe in those countries and I, and I don't know the facts I hear what you're saying the reality of it is that energy costs in Spain while they've gone up maybe by the same percentage they're still not as expensive as they are here in Ireland No, and, and, I, and I'll give you the, that one we, we have, I saw a very frightening table the other day and I was trying to pull it out of my social media our electricity is now among the dearest not just in Europe but in the world and, and PJ why is that? Well, I don't know that. I think we've. I think we could all we could all have an idea why. The government would probably tell us that they can't interfere with it, which we all think is a load of nonsense. But at the same time, what is the hotel federation doing to turn to government and say, "Come here, lads, cost of energy. We're having to put this Listen. cost back on our customers." Absolutely. And, and the government, in fairness, you know, and I want to bring it back to the pandemic, you know, when there was a crisis, not just in the hotel sector, when businesses were asked to shutter their doors, government stepped in and they supported businesses. And I know, you know, and, and I mean, and listen, that was incredibly appreciated. And I know some people will say, well, you know what, if your business is not viable, you shouldn't be in business. But that's not a valid argument because businesses actually, you know, the model, the model is potentially broken for some businesses out there. 
there. And until the model is redeveloped, government has a responsibility to ensure those businesses move forward. Because remember, like in the hotel sector alone, there's 65,000 people employed. In the hospitality and tourism industry in Ireland, there are 250,000 people employed. They are livelihoods. They are people that are working locally, spending their hard-earned money locally, and keeping you know other ancillary businesses going. So if there isn't a, a, a valid argument to support businesses at a time where there is real concern well then you know what's the point of of being or or taking the leap of going into business and to take you back to your question about government in fairness government have listened Um, we're always willing and the Hotel Federation to sit around the table with government to work on uh, initiatives and strategies to try and support businesses and you know we we talk about Dublin as as an example and, and maybe other major cities around the country but when you go outside the big urban areas and into rural cities towns and villages around the country it, there are so many businesses that are challenging it we're Indeed. challenged we're hearing it from our members because a lot of those businesses are food-led businesses and they're just having to absorb the cost and i remember in my days at school i was understood thought about in economics about commodities food was never a commodity but it's nearly coming to the stage now where food is, is a commodity okay. because of all the you know the economic geopolitical crises that are out there prices are fluctuating up and down and we saw the war broke out in Ukraine about the rise in flour. I mean, in my business, flour is used every day of the week uh, to make cakes and desserts and the volivant and whatever. And that price, that flour increased by 34%. Yeah. No, there's no question about that. Let me move on to something else, Mike. You mentioned Ukraine there, which, which brings me to another thing I wanted to bring up with you. And everybody... Well, many, most people would agree that th- those who came here fleeing the war in, U- in Ukraine, we needed to put them up. And we needed to put them up comfortably and we needed to put them up quickly. And the same for others seeking international protection from other parts of the world. But you now have, and I take a place of, for which I have great affection, Killarney. Down in Killarney, some of the major hotels are all full now of people seeking, seeking our protection. To the point where the, 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 the local businesses like publicans and restaurateurs are crying out for relief Y'all doesn't have a functioning hotel right now. Shirkin Island has its only hotel. Like, is there a point, Michael, where the Hotels Federation has to turn around to the government and say, this is now damaging our industry, the number of people we're putting up in hotels? Look, I, I think, you know, that, that point you made is well made. I suppose, look, to, to pair it back, there's no doubt about it. Ireland has done its bit in terms of supporting people who are fleeing war and in absolutely just horrific situations. Um, as a short-term measure, hotels have been engaged to provide accommodation. And that was the right thing to do. But the reality of of it is that long term it's not the correct solution and government you know in 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 their engagement have said that you know they want to look at alternative types of accommodation and there is no doubt about it when you see locations like y'all as you mentioned uh, not having uh, enough accommodation maybe to support visitors into the area well then that presents a problem for our sector but until there is a a, a, a robust accommodation solution for it um you know hotels and accommodation like that are going to be used used uh, as a stopgap, but it's not the right or the right solution uh, into the future. And the other thing I can say about it is that, you know, when hotels take 
make the decision uh, to move towards the provision of accommodation uh, for people fleeing war and a horrific humanitarian uh, crisis. Um, it's down to the biz operator and the owner of the business to do that. And the Hotel Federation can't, you know, say to a member, well, no, you can't do that or we don't agree with you. But that's down to the business operator. No, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that, Michael. But, but as, as but, newly but, but elected... Hotel Federation... As newly elected president, what would you have to say about the numbers of hotels that are now occupied? Would you be concerned about it? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, tourism is Ireland's largest indigenous industry. So the solution is, you know, work in in work in, in parallel with government and the agencies, whether it's the planning authorities, whether it's the land acquisition agencies, or whatever mechanisms are there to move forward and provide suitable accommodation that's not hotels for folks flee, fleeing war. And I read a report the other day, PJ, where, you know, this trend is likely to continue into the world and not because of war, but because of, in fact, something as, as catastrophic as climate change. And you have folks, you know, leaving their countries because the climate has just become uninhabitable. And potentially Ireland could see their population growth uh, increase because of that. So we need to think now of alternative solutions uh, that, are just not, that are just not hotels to uh, provide uh, accommodation into the future. Okay. Okay. Michael, I wish you well in your term in, you, in office. You run, and I always say this, and I've said it to your face and I'm saying it on the air, you run a fine, fine establishment, and I always have done, at Vienna Woods. And, and I wish you well in, in your time as, as president. Thank you, PJ, and thank you so much for the support, and thank you to all the Cork people uh, and beyond that visit the hotel. Your business is sincerely appreciated. Cheers, thank you. Michael Magner, Gaffer at Vienna Woods, but he is also now the new president of the Irish Hotels Federation 0818969696. I think we might come back to we were going to come back to road safety, but it's getting late. It's Friday, and I think we might come back to Monday because uh, there's a lot of people still talking about road safety like we did yesterday. On ma'am, mum, ma, mammy, whatever. Catherine says it's ma'am, PJ, still is, always will be. When we were young, if someone used ma'am, mum, or mummy, they were seen as being having notions or being posh, or having an English parent. <laughs> Which back then was almost a... I know, Catherine, I'm joking. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Yeah, ma- is it mammy or ma'am or mum? Ma'am or mum? I remember someone saying years ago that Asher and Cork, everyone calls their mother ma'am. Actually, they don't. There's more mums than ma'ams, it would seem, in Cork. <laughs> I still think Pat's got the one of the day, though. I called me mother the general... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Yeah. Um. My my father used to call her the chief executive. The big drive home with Izzy Showbizzy on Quartz 96 FM. Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. where I'll be giving away more cash money with the word. Oh my God, yeah, I'm skating because you were like, for the crack, it's Dingleberry. I'll be taking your voice notes for the takeover where you could win vouchers for Oak Fire Pizza. What's the crack, girl? Tunes are banging. Tunes there for you. Calvin Harris, body moving. And sure, listen, we'll have the crack as well. Very good. What did you cook for dinner? Meatballs and pasta. Oh, lovely. I'm starving now. <laughs> Join me weekdays from 4pm. The Big Drive Home. You can drive me home. With Izzy Show Busy. Cork's 96 FM. 96 FM.
Just I mentioned leap year. I know it was yesterday, but we're still getting the getting the messages today. Councillor McNugent was on, who said um, back when men only proposed marriage, leap year was the day women could propose. Yet yeah, still is kind of. And if he said no, he had to buy you twelve pairs of gloves. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Thank you, Mick. 0818969696. I also asked if we had any word on leap year babies born yesterday. Now, I haven't got any reports from Cork, but Antoinette, who's a regular on the show and a dub, living in Cove, she was on to say welcome to the world, my grandniece Lottie, born three o'clock yesterday afternoon at the Rotunda. Mammy and baby doing great. Yeah, that's great. So we have one leap year baby with a connection to Cork. Lottie. Have we any that were actually born in CUMH? Watch now, I'll find out about the Tuesday or Wednesday, but there you go. 0818 96 96 96. Now, imagine doing a degree at UCC and then just on a whim heading off to Sweden and then heading off to Norway and then getting a PhD in something that your first degree had nothing to do with and still playing a bit of music at the weekends Dr. Mark O'Sullivan from Ballinlock yeah he's he's from Ballinlock he studied computer science and economics in UCC I'm sure we know each other back from the day he works in Norway lives in Stockholm and he is a doctor of sports science. He lectures in the science of sport at the university in 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 um in Oslo. Are you in Oslo or in Stockholm today, Mark? Morning. Uh, good morning, uh, PJ. Uh, and good afternoon from Stockholm. Stockholm. Okay, so that's where you live and you yeah. and you work in, in yeah. Is it much of a commute? Cuz it sounds like a hefty one. <sighs> Well, I'm like, it is, the train is about five hours, but what I do is I live in... Um, Can you get a bit closer uh, to the phone, Mark, if you wouldn't mind, please? Just a little bit closer. Um, I can't get any closer to the phone than okay. I am now. But um, I, I, live in Sto- I live in Stockholm, right. but I'm, um, I work in Oslo, and I, I live kind of part-time in Oslo due to work, because it's... 50% research and 50% lecturing, so 50% of my job I can do from Stockholm if necessary. I see. I see. Now, you did computer science and economics at UCC, and then you headed off to visit Sweden for three weeks and never came home. Pretty much it, isn't it? Yeah, uh, well, I think you can put inverted commas, computer science and economics in UCC. I did it. I, I got through it. But, um, um, yeah, and then at the... I was just hanging around for a while. I was involved in music in Cork. And then I went to, to Stockholm to visit friends that I'd studied with university uh, for three weeks. And three weeks has now become almost 30 years. <laughs> That's called falling it in love with the place. To, to, it, was, it was totally planned. <laughs> That's called falling in love no, with the place. Yeah, and it was nice. I guess it was just something, the right time, you know, and just you feel, oh, I want to do something different. It's just, it wasn't planned. It was just something that emerged and just yeah. happened. And how did you end up then getting a PhD in sports science? How did that come about? I, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think I, I was involved in music, running record labels and DJing, and I used to do a lot of traveling around Europe and to Asia as well, playing. 
but I got really into coaching because I started actually a football club here. You probably know the guy, Marty McCarthy, the drummer in something. Yes. Yeah, we yeah. Started, yeah, we started a football club with a few friends together and we started meeting up. And, and then in the football club, there was this Dutch guy who was coaching a local team. He said, would you help out? And then I said, yeah. And this is about 2003, I think. And I said, yeah. And then I, <laughs> I was um, helping out and he quit after a month and left me on my own with them. So I said, okay. And then I just started getting really interested in coaching and learning and just really got into the and had some ideas found it very difficult to articulate myself uh, reached out to a load of academics and researchers who were very very helpful and all got back to me and very supportive and I just basically did I did coach education and qualified with my UEFA A license in 2014 and but also in the meantime I let's just say I fell backwards into academia and mm. started writing a lot of blogs and ideas down. And it's because of that, actually, Sheffield Hallam, a guy called Keith Davids, a giant in the area of sports science, got in touch with me and asked what I do with PhD. It's and a strange route, isn't it? From, like you say, you, you just about got away with it in computer science and ec economics. Would you have expected yeah, would you, would you have expected when you graduated from there to ever have a PhD? No, no, I wouldn't have expected even to get into college when I was 18. So <laughs> to get a PhD is, um, was, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was fantastic. All I can say is that because of, thanks to Keith and his vision, because I was actually working in an environment and he wanted a professional football club in, in Stockholm called AIK, and he wanted somebody to do, who had a good understanding of academia, uh, to do some research in context and real life environments in football and that's what I did that was my whole PhD and uh, yeah you know to wake up every morning and decide whether do I want to learn something today or not is quite a fantastic thing to do because not everyone properly has that opportunity yeah. that's the approach I took and your lifelong love of sport of course yeah 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 it helped music and sport have always music and sport yeah, yeah. it's always true true my dad's you know, I developed this love of music and sports since I'm a child, since, since I can remember. Yeah. So what does a so, lecturer yeah. in sports science, what do you teach? Um, well, the Norwegian School of Sports Science is ranked, I think, top three in the world in sports science. So I would be running a lot of the coach education programs. Mm. So in football, our coaches can get um, a degree and the Masters, while also getting their UEFA coaching qualifications while studying in the university. Mm -hmm. So I would design the courses for that. I also design the skill acquisition courses um, for um, other sports. So it'd be everything from um, uh, cross-country skiing, volleyball, uh, tennis, basketball, handball. So it's a fantastic opportunity because mm -hmm. I get to work with coaches and athletes that in sports that I've never took part in and have never been involved in, but it's, it's a fantastic uh, learning opportunity for me as well. Mm. So, for instance, one of my students, or two of my students, I think, are going to take part in the Olympics. Wow. Some are coaching at it. And then I have other coaches in football that are grassroots coaches with kids, but professional players as well and coach at really top level mm. as well. So it's um, very varied. Um, what but, makes uh, a great coach? 
no matter the sport, though, but what makes a great uh, coach? How many, I mean, if I could give you the answer to that, I wouldn't be on the radio talking about it. I'd be selling it, wouldn't I? <laughs> so, I, I think, I mean, actually, it, it, I was asked, uh, a guy called Mike Quirk from Kerry had me on his podcast. He's an ex-player recently. And he asked me three things that for coaches. And I said, what was it? Um, it's very much uh, relationships, mm. create it's all about relationships. Observe, observe more, because that's something in coach education we're not uh, is not developed enough within coach education. Helping coaches observe, mm. and then do no harm. Do no harm. Expand on that for me. Yeah. Well, you're working with kids. We're in a very, um, I mean, you know, the stress and pressure that's on young children in sport today because it's becoming hyper professionalized at even children's level now at this stage. Mm. And that can be quite quite harmful because there's pressure on coaches to win games. So, you know, my experience in my research was like you have coaches with 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds doing everything to win a game, basically just telling PlayStation coaching, telling the kids completely what to do. And, and if, you know, if you're not... And it's basically controlling everything around them rather than giving them freedom and the uh, space to explore and learn and you know uh, discover yeah. uh, how how to play the game themselves and keep keep the love of sport alive in them rather than getting too and keep the love of sport alive yeah. one, so one last quick one for you and this is a maybe a smart yeah. arse question mark one last quick one for you who on earth can we get to run to coach the national soccer team I, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty much out of the loop in Irish football, but uh, I think there's far bigger problems than that at the moment. <laughs> That's a very academically answered question. Well done, Mark. <laughs> Mark thank you very much. From Ballinlock to Oslo to via Stockholm and UCC, and he is now a doctor of sports coaching. Yeah, don't mind. Congratulations, fella. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now. What am I doing? Yeah, we, we had some comments in on the shortening of school holidays. I will come back to that. I will also come back. Do you know what I never came back to last week? And I must come back to it next week. Never came back properly to homework uh, and, and, and uniforms and doing away with uniforms. That I have to come back to, to next week. But I have a lot of stuff in before we're out of here at 12. There's a lot of talk about snow up the country and schnapta and sleet and all those things. We haven't seen a splink of it. There's not a f- snowflake to be seen this morning. Am I wrong, though? Was it six years ago today, this very day, we were up to our knees in it? Because if memory serves me correctly, it was this day in 2018 that the beast from the east arrived with fury. Just thought I'd throw that one out there. There's a new weatherman on TG Carr, and he's already a superstar. His name is Dara O'Keefe, and he is from Cantork. And it coming into Shopton, or it's Kaikish Mona Shopton, Nguelga Dara, a good point to bring you in. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Ah, Tommy Gamal. Well, Tommy Quisir. Do you mean we'll get away with it for Friday? <laughs> but come here. That's a fantastic gig because for some reason, all of the TG Car weather people seem to go on to be media stars in their own right. Well, uh, we'll, uh, we'll 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 wait and see. I suppose, PJ. Um, <laughs> I'm delighted. I'm delighted you are. I am um, delighted to join. You know what? Uh, 
a great TV station, great media organization. Mm-hmm. Um, as you say, many, many names have have come through the door and um, I had, it's, it's an honor to be starting there, you know, and... Grania Shuya yeah, being the biggest star, I think, that came out of it over the years. Do you remember Grania? Yeah, she started there. She did indeed. Are you a native Gaelgore, or is it a, is it your second language? It's my second language. I um, I'm from Kentucky, PJ, um, and I wasn't raised in Irish, and I didn't go to an Irish school um, or Gaelic school. Um, but I just took an interest in the language, you know, uh, when I was in school and um, went to Irish college a good few times um, during the summers. And I, I studied it then uh, at UCC, you know, and um, just kind of got, got the bug, I suppose, really, you know. Mm. Where did the, yeah, you got the bug. What put the bug into you? There was any number of the languages that a man could learn. What, what was the love? What was the grow? Well, I don't know, really. Um, I find that question hard to answer. But, you know, I suppose growing up in Kentuck, you know, and I, I, I've i always been interested in history and, you know, um, you know, Kentuck Castle we have and that was the, the McCarthy's and, um, you know, there's great poetry from from Duhallow and from Northwest Cork in Irish, you know, and I kind of, as I kind of discovered that, I kind of, it kind of clicked, and I said, "Geez, this is this is this is where I'm from. This is part of my history." Mm. Um, that that got me interested, you know. And then I suppose when I suppose when I started making friends, then you know, when I went to Irish college in the summer and and in college as well, you know, I've had great fun um, because of the language, you know. And it's 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 brought me places, and I've made great friends through it, you know. Mm. So it's uh, it's it's given me a lot, really, you know. Yeah. And will not a talk to Corkig enough? <laughs> Neither oil of me, neither oil of me. <laughs> I'm off. I'm off today now, uh, PJ. You know, I haven't been checking up with the forecast, but uh, I think I think we were caught by surprise. I'm actually in Dublin this morning, and we were we were kind of caught on the half a small bit. Um, but uh, you'll have to tune in now, PJ. Uh, <laughs> just before the seven o'clock news this evening, my colleague will will have you up to date. <laughs> uh, you're, you're not you're not meteorologists there. It's it's very it's presentation job, isn't it? It is, it is, yeah, weather presenters as, as opposed to meteorologists, that, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, I, I'll, uh, I defer to Met Aaron on, on that question. Shock the plug. Tonight. Shock the plug, yeah, just, the plug. just before the news. <laughs> All right, Dara O'Keefe, good luck with the, with the new career as a new weatherman on uh, TG Car. Can talk one big schnockta. There's no schnockta in Cork. Anyone had schnockta in Cork this morning? Because they're, 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 of course, see, Dublin has had a small bit of schnockta now. So Ireland will draw to a standstill. Do you know what happens, right? They get three flakes of snow one after the other. And it's a crisis. I spoke of Shockton, or rather a kaikish, uh, and there is a special showing of a wonderful film which I watched um, when it came out, and I will watch it again. Uh, because it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of filmmaking. I speak of on Colleen Kewen. And to launch Shocked in Aguelga, they are showing it uh, in the Triskill tonight. Chris Dorgan is Senior Staff Officer uh, at the Cork City Council and Special Responsibility for Antonga Gaelic. Dis Merigit, Chris, how are you today? Dis Merigit, eh? Comes to Tower Falk, Grand Absolutely marvellous. You're you're, you're you're much better than I am at it. But the Colleen Colleen is a much is a beautiful piece of filmmaking that everybody should see. It is, you know, uh, it holds its own in world cinema, but it just happens also to be an Irish, and it's beautiful for it. So, and the bad news or the good news is the same thing. It's completely sold out. Well, that's great. That's it's going within 24 hours, so I'll be talking to people in Triscoll about because they did show it a number of times already, 
but um, they were surprised by the, the fact that it sold out so quickly. So it, you're absolutely right. It is starting off the week, but there are over 20 events throughout the library network. And I was smiling when you were saying shocks and Aguilga because uh, in many things I've been involved with, we talk about uh, any time Cork is involved, you have to remember ABCD, uh, but Cork is different. <laughs> is that where you think the kite quiche comes from rather than the shock then? Well, well, not, no, well, we're, we're actually mean at Wilga. So throughout our library network for the entire month of March, we're, we're tagging on an extra week onto the two weeks that they did. So shock and Wilga runs from the 1st to the 17th. But to be fair to the library, they have, uh, and they're part of, of, of my own directors, um, they have events on all of the time. And some of them that would be of huge interest to people. If people have an interest in the language, there are conversation circles um, where whatever your level of Irish come in and talk to your own ability in all of our library network mm. more and more young wrong, people more and more young people are experimenting with the cupola focal it's a huge thing now on social media there's loads of tiktokers doing it you, you're a great girl all your life it must do the heart good to see it well, I'm, I'm exactly in the same situation as your previous. I, I didn't grow up in an Irish language household, but I grew up in a household where my father loved the language. He was a founder member with his brother of an apartheid holding a football club with a, a dozen or so others. And there was always a love for Irish. We would have said, Shukra and Banya passing at the table and doing Doris and nothing more than that. And that was, that's where my love for it came from. And then in the 90s, I had a big career change and I worked in an Irish language radio station and that's where I came back from, from just practice. And that's all it is. Mm. People are terribly, terribly self-critical of it. And the, the, the Taliban, the Goyal, as I used to call them, the language <laughs> fundamentalists who, who concentrated that you had to be 100% right so there was no point. No, right. it's a language, and like all languages, it is only any use if you speak. And there's a wonderful proverb in, in the Irish language, and I have to credit Philly Vuraku, who's a, a lady living in uh, in town here, and she, she's part of our age-friendly network. But there's a wonderful uh, proverb that she gave to me, which is, Even if all you have is a little puck goat, you should still be going to the fair. I love it. I love it. Have a good, have a good me, Nagelga, uh, Chris Dorgan, and many events. And look it up. Just look up Shakti uh, Nagelga. Uh, there are many, many events uh, coming over the next couple of weeks. That movie, if you can get to see it, is gorgeous on Colleen Kuhn. Right. Will we ever, will we ever find out that dog's name? The word is your chance to win free money on Cork's 96 FM. <laughs> Okay, Hannah, Hannah Murray, Hannah McCarthy is in uh, Blarney Street. Let's have one more. Li- I need, we need to shift this. Like 6,000, 6,250 euro. I met the coolest dog, the dog's name. It's <laughs> my mother didn't get a look in for the entire hour. Hannah. Hi, DJ, how are you? If you won 6,250 euro, rather than... Apart from jump into the sky, how would you do with it? I knew there'd be quite a few jumps into the sky, I believe. Um, I only was thinking about it a second ago, and I said, my poor dad's car wouldn't start this morning. So a few of it, anyway, would definitely try and get that problem resolved. But um, I'd say I'd probably head over to just about where your daughter is, I'd say, over in Australia for a little while. All right. Well, I, I was stopped coming out of a public toilet, if you don't mind, last night by a fellow who said to me, what is that dog's name? I don't <laughs> know. I don't you know, know the answer. I had the same thing in my head since I heard it the very first time. And yesterday, a caller had two options in her head and picked one. And what I have in my head 
is her other option that she had and it's so off the wall that when I heard that I said oh my god maybe I'm onto something here Okay, now I don't know what the answer is and only when I press the button will I know if you're right or wrong What is the word? Um, I think the dog's name was Mayonnaise You think the dog's name was what? I know, that's why I think I'm off the wall I think it's Mayonnaise You think it's Mayonnaise It's just so mad it might be Hold on I know (laughs) No No Hannah, it's madder than mayonnaise. Even madder, I know. It beats me anyway, PJ. (laughs) (laughs) All right, have a lovely weekend. Um, €6,250 now goes up to €6,500 with Simon this afternoon on The Word on Cork's 96FM. What is that dog's flipping name? It's been running now for a full week. €6,500 with Simon on The Word for the afternoon. I think that is about the size of it. Right, I'm going to try this because we've just had start-up shocked in Aguilia. Shall we have a go? Shine, Don Cloran Lay, An Agrahor, Imarohay, Antargahor, Fergal Barry, Beg Nampodcasta, Erfoil, Gulua, Esses Fader, Gunairi and Derry shocked to live. I guess Bedmid Rashish, Erin Lewin, Dirok, Teresha Nay. See you Monday.